welcome to the Survivor Historians, the all-time greatest podcast in the history of the internet. I'm Mario Lanza. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, this is Paul Oslison. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock to Sherlock. I'm Jay Fisher. What's up, guys? And we're here with Oscar, the dead embryonic baby bat. And the four of us are putting together a podcast for Survivor Thailand, which I know is a... Uh, People are looking forward to this one because Thailand has got to be one of the uh, lesser-known seasons out there. And you guys, it, you guys, is it Oscar or Oliver? Before we go any farther, doesn't his I'm name going change? old school. Yeah, he, in the in the season, it starts Oscar and it becomes Oliver. But okay. I'm, since I'm old school, I'm starting Oscar. Ozzy's not in this season. What the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> no, all the Aussies were in season two. Jay, catch up. Ah, my bad. Yeah, so are you guys looking forward to Thailand? I know I've been very excited about this one. I've got a lot of feedback people are very excited about hearing about from this one. Yeah, and I think we all have it fresh in our minds, so it's really exciting to to talk about. I think the the last rewatch I had of it was was probably the most exciting one I've ever had. I don't think I've like forgotten what it's like to have a season that you just laugh so much at, and especially that first half of that season is it's hilarious every single episode. I cannot wait. I, I this season is so money. On, on so many levels, and, and it's just going to be great to talk about it, uh, you know, especially coming off the glow of Marquesas and, and, and the almighty Zoe. We, you know, people would think we've got nowhere to go but down, but but damn it, we've got clay and we're going to try. And we got some Zabaknik, big Zabaknik fans here. Okay, before we uh, jump into this, there's something that I wanted to mention. This is our preamble to the Survivor Thailand podcast, and that is that there is a perception out there that Thailand is a hated season and that people hated it at the time, and it was just loathed. And right off the bat, I have to say, that is not the case. That has never been the case. If anything, Thailand has kind of been, people have been indifferent towards it, if anything. there's, It was not even close to hated. So these people walking around saying, oh, all those seasons were great, but everyone hated Thailand. Thailand sucks. That That's not true whatsoever. It just, it's sandwiched between much bigger and more memorable seasons. That was always its problem. Would you guys kind of agree with that? I would. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, a, se- or a series that has gone on for so many seasons, now it's it's more common that, that there's kind of, like, slow parts to Survivor. You think, ah, you know, seasons, I mean, to, to be make it more modern, ah, you know, from 21 to 20, uh, 24 kind of sucked in there. But, I mean, in those early seasons, you really didn't have a season that, you know, we didn't go through a, a period of time when it wasn't good. I, the fact that all those pre-All-Star seasons are so good... Um, I mean, it's easy to pick on Thailand as this, you know, awful season now. But, I mean, when you go back and watch it, it really does not stick out that much from the other ones. It's, I mean, almost as good as the rest of them. I think it just also, I think, you know, history will, you know, we, we look back on, on who we bring back for all-star seasons. We look back on, on certain things. And because Thailand never got, you know, besides Xi'an, um, you know, returning players or a lot of recognition, they have this really, you know, dominant winner who never comes back. So you kind of tend to forget about it. And I think that's a lot of it is, you know, it's not not true, the perception we have about Thailand. So anyone and I can't believe how many times I see people complaining about it, like online. And then they say, I have I have never rewatched it or I've never <laughs> even watched. It. I'm like, OK, well, you can't hear a bitch about what a bad season it was unless you go back and watch it. Yeah, all stars. When we get there it's going to be an interesting one to talk about because all stars is a, is a, is a season where we're going to talk about not just the season, but the, uh, the impact of the season on survivor as a whole. And I mean, that is a can of worms that is going to be opened by us. That just is going to be ridiculous. But I think that Thailand 
is a major casualty of all stars. You know, it just absolutely doomed it. Thailand had, it was unfortunate timing. It came after Marquesas, which is a banner season, and it comes before Amazon and Pearl Islands, which I, I think most people put those seasons in their top five, ten, would you say? Yeah, almost everybody does. Yeah, you know, and 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 Pearl Islands, of course, is like a top three season, just just absolute money off the bat. And Survivor Amazon was a great season, and it has Rob Sesterino, who is probably... Uh, the number one celebrity, you know, survivor celebrity within the survivor community, I guess, is the way to put it. So yeah. unfortunately, Thailand kind of gets lost in the shuffle there. And that's really the legacy of Thailand is that it got lost in the shuffle. And then what All Stars did just absolutely doomed it to, uh, you know, kind of a lower tier of seasons. But I'm glad we're here to talk about it because this season is not only good, it has got just an incredible stretch of people and and it's got some incredible episodes, and we're going to get there. And I think that if you're going to talk about single greatest episodes of all time, Mike falling in the fire or something else along the way or this, that, I think that you know there's a, there's a couple episodes in Thailand that I think we can nominate for best episodes ever. Absolutely. Um, and one last thing I just wanted to point out is that there was such a thing as survivor fatigue, and this is it's almost impossible to talk about survivor history without kind of going through the timeline of when these things aired. And like there came a point when it wasn't a phenomenon and people were just kind of tired of it. It was just kind of blah. It was now a show that was just kind of out there like every other show. And, you know, 9-11 certainly didn't help. But Marquesas is really the season I've always kind of thought where the the kind of the, the blah kind of started in. Like, is this show still on? They're already on four. But what happened is Marquesas was so big and that it had that power shift. I think people kind of forgot about it and they kind of got excited about it again. And then the, the malaise that was kind of, you know, earmarked for Marquesas ended up having happening to Thailand. That's really, I think, what happened to it. It was the season where finally people were saying, man, this show is still on the air. I mean, this show, they're already on their fifth season. And so it was Thailand really kind of got the the brunt of what Marquesas would have got had Marquesas been a lesser season. And it's, you know, it's funny. I was a seventh grader when Survivor Thailand aired. And so I really was not online reading, you know, whatever, the, whatever Mario was doing at that time. But um, I remember thinking, like, I thought Survivor Thailand was the last Survivor season. I mean, I was, like, almost convinced of it. I really had no basis for it, but I just thought, oh, my gosh, it's been five seasons. Like, there's no way they can keep going from here. And at the reunion show when they announced where Survivor's going next, I have this vivid memory of my brother and I jumping up and down giving each other a hug because, oh, my God, there's <laughs> going to be a Survivor 6. So, And that's the, the first time Paul ever hugged his brother. <laughs> Survivor will bring you to closer to your family. <laughs> Oh my God! Survivor survived Ted. We're good. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get into it here, but we're doing something a little different with our Thailand podcast. We're kind of doing a rotating thing where, where I've kind of led the podcast before, and Jay, this is really Jay's season. Jay has been championing championing Thailand for a long time, so I'm gonna kind of hand the reins over to Jay. Jay will be leading us through it. He's a very capable tour guide. You guys will be in good hands. Paul and I will be here to assist as needed, and so here we go uh, for the. First time in uh, Survivor Historian podcast history for Jay Fisher of Liverpool, England. Opportunity knocks. Go for it, Jay. Okay. Um, Don't get do nervous. You, You're doing faster. great. Faster. Talk faster, Jay. Do you got? Do you, do you guys have any? Um, wait. What are we doing again? Survivor <laughs> Thailand. Oh, season oh, five. Survivor. Five. <laughs> Season five of all the Survivor seasons, this is the fifth. Holy shit, guys. We are going to Thailand, and this is going to be fun. Uh, we talked a little bit about pre-game, kind, kind of talking about how it isn't a hated season. It's just kind of into the fold, but we're going into 
into Thailand. We're going and we're getting into episode one right off the bat. And they're throwing us something completely different right from the start. And that is elders picking the tribe. Oh, <laughs> right. No, what, what? I just, I just want to, you're doing great, by the way, Jay, you're doing awesome. Yeah, really good. Really good, Jay. No, but I, I want to say this because before the show started here, we were, we were talking about if there was any kind of you know preseason stuff we should talk about, and I just thought of something which goes right into what Jay was saying as they were trying something new, and so there were all these rumors surfacing about what was going to be different on Survivor Thailand, and even when they and the big rumor was that it was going to be men versus women, which obviously we see that come up later, but that's kind of how they teased the season. I mean, they would show these clips from Gandhi saying if it was men versus women, we totally were going to kick the men's ass. And, um, you know, they show the men sitting together, the women sitting together, and they're saying Survivor's going to start like never before. And even when they when they sh- released the cast on the early show, they used to release it every season then. And I remember when they released it, they, like, strategically picked it so, like, you couldn't tell that the tribes were mixed. I think it was they showed only the women of Sukjai wearing uh, purple buffs, and then any shot they had of the guys, they didn't show them wearing a buff at all, so you couldn't see what, you know, what tribe they were on. And they only showed the, the Chewigan buffs of the men wearing it, and so Helen, Jay, and Gandhi, they weren't wearing buffs. So when you were watching it, it also looked like it really was going to be men versus women, because they were very careful about doing this. But obviously, when the episode one airs, we find out that we're not doing men versus women we're going to save that for a season later um but i think as we're going to talk about here it's a, it has a huge impact on the game isn't the opening credits of episode one are also men and women right right okay yeah they, i forgot completely forgot about that yeah that was how thailand was kind of marketed to the public it's oh it's going to be they didn't flat out say men versus women. It's going to be something different. And then every commercial hinted at men versus women. So it was just one of those little things. I'd also just like to point out also before we get to uh, this this men versus women and kind of introducing ourselves here in the Thailand. And that is the just the opening as well. You know, as great a season as Marquesas is, they just kind of start on a boat. And they're all sitting on the boat with a life vest. And Jeff Probst's like, hey, we're in the Marquesan Islands. And only one will remain and all that kind of stuff. But in this <laughs> one, you kind of you see the you see this Thai, Thai village. And everything like that. And then all of a sudden you see like this clothesline and coming out of the clothesline is just this line of Americans led by, of course, Jake, because everything needs to be led by Jake <laughs> and stuff like that. It was really cool. And you see Jeff Probst standing there and he's like, these 16 Americans are about to embark on the, you know, all that kind of, you know, stuff that Jeff Probst says. But it's just a really, you know, there's a lot of love in this season, and especially in that opening. It's a really cool opening to the show. We get some yeah, Rob Zabachnik uh, skateboard action, too. Yeah. yeah, that's where I was going earlier. That The very first shot of Rob is him riding his skateboard through the Thailand fishing village. It's a totally legitimate luxury item. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> the greatest luxury item in Survivor history. He brings a skateboard to the beach. To the beach. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't bring, like, a hoverboard, you know? At least you can maybe, like, you know, do some skinboarding or something on the waves. But no, it's got wheels. You're screwed. Well, he claimed he used it as a pillow, so go for it, Rob. That's not what I would choose as a pillow. <laughs> I believe I would, he said... I, I would u- pick I, a pillow for that. <laughs> I believe he said, I used it as a pillow, bro. Bro, yeah, yeah there probably was a bro. But I will, I will agree with you that that opening to Thailand is one of my all-time favorites because you just get culture, you get music. It's just different than most of the other openings. It's there's a lot of a lot of uh, seasonal depth kind of right in that opening to the season. You just learn a lot about how, what the season is going to look like and sound like. And I always. I just have a soft spot for that opening. It's just a neat little way to start a season. I think you have a soft spot for it because it reminds me a lot of the opening of Africa where, you know, you start in the village and then you're on the truck and they're bouncing on the truck. I think that's a that's a fun way to go. You know, and we've had – I think that through the years the openings kind of get 
uh, tossed aside. But I think a lot of these, you know, real fun seasons, especially beginning Africa, Thailand, Pearl Islands, when we get there, I've got these like incredible openings. And you're like, wow, this is really fun, fun way to start a show. I agree. Although, again, they this is the first season, I think, where they cut out the little getting to know you montage where we show what each person does in real life. Well, we do do that. We, we actually still, have yeah, it's yeah. Do they do it or do they just introduce themselves? They do it. They do it when they get there because they, they, they get off the Thai village. They go okay. to the uh, – they get to the spot. They, they sit versus men versus women and Jeff is, is there. And then Jeff says, I want you guys to introduce yourselves. And uh-huh. you, can, you can give away as much or as little about yourselves as not, but you kind of have to say your name. And as they're going through and everyone is saying, I'm so-and-so from Texas, we see that little background of their, uh, of their job and lives and stuff like that. Now, this was the last season that did that, correct? Yes. I don't think Amazon yeah. did it. No, yeah. Oh, uh, that's a shame. So this is the last one. So this is the last of its kind. The, the last, last season that used the what I consider the single most important part of every season, which is the getting to know you montage. Well, Rip and, and, you know, know you. and it's fun how they do it too because it kind of uh, a moment in there that kind of you know time marks when the season aired was when Ken you know proudly says he's a New York City police officer. You kind of get a moment where everyone claps for him, which is, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was a uh, <laughs> 2002. Now, for Brian Heidek's clip, did they show him banging like eight chicks at once? Was that how that worked? <laughs> a, a little, a little blur action. Now, now remind me, that was it was pretty like before the season before the season aired. It was pretty well known. There was this like soft core porn star that was going to be on Survivor, right? I can, I'm trying to think. I like, I, like for some all reason, all I remember knowing him. I I remember knowing him as a used car salesman. I'm going through my, I was going through some of my columns from back then, what I wrote about the season, and I don't mention anything about a porn star right away it i'm not sure have, if that it, came out yeah it might have come out like somewhere during the season because i definitely remember the discussion around it but man maybe it was after it aired the first episode sometime maybe with that. maybe with cc coming on then it starts <laughs> getting a little bit of traction but yeah it's the used car salesman and he even says so at the beginning which is great and it was fun to see i liked it when they introduced themselves as well because then jeff is giving them the you can say as much or as little as you want notice that clay didn't tell anyone what his occupation was because you know he's like i'm super rich and all that sort of stuff it was real kind of fun well it's funny because he's the only one who doesn't say what he does so it's kind of obvious he might have some money everyone else says what they do clay's the only one Hi, i'm clay and i'm short it's like <laughs> well, he, okay he's, he's probably there's probably a reason he's not telling us his pro- profession he's a diamond in the rough though mario <laughs> He is a, my name is Clay. I'm from Bag End in the Shire. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, it's good. So, <laughs> so then we, uh, a- after we get our, our introductions going on, Jeff says, well, we're seated in men and women. You would assume that we're going to have a tribe of men and a tribe of women. Psych, we're not. But as luck would have it, or as we planned it, uh, we, are, we, we revere elder people, and the two older people are Jake and Jan. And I want you two to come up here, and we're going to do a schoolyard pick 'em, alternating men and women. So we're going to have our first people pick the tribes, and that's what we're going to go with at the beginning. And uh, everything went great after that, right? Perfect. It was a flawless season. <laughs> you know, I'm amazed that the producers did that, to be honest. Just from what I know about CBS and what I know about Burnett and Probst. Yeah, and how much control they want to have over the season and over what happens and how it plays out. That they literally, I mean, handed fate to the players. You guys will determine how the first six episodes will play out, which is, that's awfully ballsy. It's ballsy, and it's not just, you know, when people are saying, well, you know, it's two elder people in their 60s and 70s or whatever, and they're picking these tribes and everything like that. And you got Jake, who's 
you know, a land broker, some business shark kind of guy. And you've got Jan, who is a batshit crazy first grade teacher. <laughs> For the record, Kate, if anyone like, you know, you think back about old lady Jan, she is 53 years old. <laughs> like, I was just going to say that. She, you, you think she's like 80, but she's not. She is 53. <laughs> it is unreal. And I remember when that was airing, um, we always kind of talk about Survivor with my math teacher in seventh grade. She kind of like, she was one of those people who kind of like resisted, like, oh, I don't watch that. But then she actually, you know, kind of got into it by the end of the season and would kind of talk about it and and one day in class um she said something about have you guys have you guys watched survivor and you know at that time it was even more people were, you know were still watching it so i mean a lot of the kids had she's like you know that lady jan on there you know she's only 53 that goes to show you how stressful it is to be a teacher <laughs> i thought that was that's what shows you what alcohol can do your duty <laughs> yeah or that too yeah. it's a hell of a drug <laughs> it's funny that you know they they I don't know if I should make this joke or not, but I, I might as well go at this point. That I can't believe they turned over the control of this of Survivor, this mega you know million dollar franchise, to the old people. Like, I won't even let my dad program his VCR, and he's only like sixty. Like, uh, they're turning over their entire franchise to the old people. That's that's a very risky move. Well, it's a very fun move too, and this this whole sequence here. So, um. My I had watched Thailand probably well sometime it was at the beginning of 2012 sometime in the spring I watched it with my girlfriend for the first time she watched it and then I I rewatched it a couple weeks ago with with her again and her sister who's now watching all these shows and it was funny because after she had seen Thailand my girlfriend was saying she's like you know that that first whole like the whole sequence of them picking the tribes and the way they kind of introduce people she's like that just sums up the rest of the season like they do such a great job with you know wh- what interviews they play and stuff like that i mean it starts off right away with jan's crying because she did kind of get scared about picking the tribes like it just it really sets up the characters super well in that opening scene it sets up well and it goes into the next scene when we get there and stuff like that but you know it's also great we're going to talk about you know just the the overall theme of it but jake's first pick he picks stephanie winner you know on paper that was a good pick i will defend this pick to the death well yeah because she was athletic you know I will say, I, I obviously used to write Survivor columns back at the time, and Thailand is one of my favorite seasons that I wrote about because I nailed the winner right off the bat. Just from his preseason bio, I just said, oh, Brian Heideck, used car salesman, he's going to win. And in fact, I had this guy at work who was only a casual fan of Survivor, and he said the same thing. I showed him all the bios. I'm like, okay, here's the 16 people on Survivor who's going to win. And he looked at it for like 30 seconds. He's like, used car salesman, he's going to win. And so we both picked the same guy. But my number two pick, and anybody who's read my columns can attest to this, my number two pick to be the standout star potential winner was Stephanie. And from her bio, she had a great bio where just badass EMT, you know, she like hunts, she fish, she's like hangs out with a guy, she's killer in athletic challenges, she's sarcastic. And I just thought she was going to be a major character. So I I will defend Jake with that pick because on paper she was a good player. She had a good audition video too. She did. And in fact, I know Jay hates hearing me talk about my uh, Survivor All-Star stories, but in my my third story, All-Star Survivor Greece, she was the best character in there. In fact, some people say she was the best character I ever wrote in any of my stories. She was such a standout. So I have a, kind of a soft spot for Stephanie in Thailand, even though I, as someone just recently today said, see if you can go the whole podcast without mentioning Stephanie's name and see if anybody notices. Wait a minute. Wasn't Gabe in All-Star Greece? Yes. And Stephanie was a better character. Whoa. 
No. Well, uh, what? Sorry. Yeah, no, Sorry. With, with Stephanie, I mean, she's super lame on the show. I'm just going to say it. I mean, she's one of the most boring yeah. people out there. But any, like, even if you watch her early show, like, you know, interview after the fact and stuff, and at the reunion show, you see why they picked her because mm-hmm. she's, like, really fun and stuff. But she's one of those people that, you know, you strip everything away from her. She doesn't get along with the people there, and she just falls completely flat because she's having an awful time. It was good. Jake picks Stephanie, very good on paper, everything athletic, and, and Jan counters with Ted. With a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> That's intimidation on a whole other level. That's right. Now, Ted was a good pick, too. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. People remember him as being kind of a big, heavy, over-the-hill over the guy, but like he was a former professional football player, so you got some major strength getting a guy like Ted on your team. You got major strength. It's kind of tough when you've got Ken, the the very fit New York cop there, and some other things that that look a little more uh, rough and rugged. But uh, yeah, the tri- we we kind of get we kind of get this pick'em going, and we're starting to notice a theme. And as Paul said, I think it's great they they kind of intersperse some of uh, the interviews with like Rob Z saying, "Oh God, I didn't want to be on the crazy old ladies team," and and he didn't, and he got picked by Jake, and he got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, can we say that? Uh, was anyone shocked that Gandia was uh, the third woman picked to be on a tribe? <laughs> well, she was Jan. Remember, Jan is insane, so you never you're not playing with the same the same playing field there. Well, she should have seen what Clay Clay reminds us in a few episodes that you know when he first saw Gandia, he saw a lot of trouble. Yeah, and so which you look back, it's like uh, just on first impression, you thought Gandia was a lot of trouble. Maybe not the best thing to say here, Clay, but uh, okay. <laughs> By the way, I got to point out, going back to Ted, this started the great Survivor tradition of when you have a very large man on Survivor, they'll, they'll come up with a very creative na- nickname for him. So much like Tom last season became Big Tom, obviously Ted became Big Ted, and it's kind of a theme in Survivor. I don't know if you guys have caught that. If someone is large, they will be called Big so what are you saying? <laughs> I'm blow I'm blowing your mind right now. This is inse- inception level stuff, Jay. <laughs> oh man. So then we had the last people picked and, and what wasn't Aaron one of the last people picked? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, just her first introduction to her is I'm the last one picked. Are you kidding? Come on, I can give so much to this tribe. That's like that's an example of irony, kids. <laughs> I love the way they phrase that as if we're supposed to know a lot about Aaron and that she gives a lot to people. Like, how how do we know? Maybe you're supposed to be the last one picked. We can't, we have no basis of comparison, Aaron. The basis we have is an interview with her whining about being picked last. But then we had Clay too, right? Yeah, then Clay's the other one. That's when he says that thing you can hardly even understand him where he says, well, they got a diamond in the book because they don't know. Hey, my wife loves that scene because. Whenever uh, she hears that speech and Clay's like, oh, they don't know what they're missing because I'm a diamond in the rough. But he says that like so hesitantly and like yeah. nervously, yeah, like he doesn't like, even sound remotely yeah, like he believes that. Yeah, he like just stumbles over his words. It's an awful. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why they wouldn't pick an unathletic 60 year old <laughs> man who's three foot eight. Well, but in, in, in my in my preseason predictions for. Thailand, you can guess that I ranked Clay dead last. He's like four feet tall. He has nothing in his bio that stands out. I'm like, why would I pick this guy to win? Well, then, you guys are... and then you have Jan being crazy, and she's like, golfer! And she does this, like, <laughs> fake golf swing. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. This season has got some great luxury items. We've already hit the fact that Rob Z brought his skateboard out to the island. But then we have Clay with a golf club. And to tell you the truth, that's almost ingenious. Like, could you get away with that today? 
Well, and he was bonding with his. I mean, that's. I mean, arguably, that's one of the reasons why Clay did so well in the game because he bonding with the other guys. They're out there playing golf every day. They're out there playing golf. You could possibly use it as some sort of tool, as something else. I mean, and again, it's relieving the boredom out there. It was a fantastic luxury item. Yeah. You know, you look at it, and you're like, that's silly. But then you think about it a little more and go, that's brilliant. And I will say, um, going back to the skateboard. Rob has said in interviews that he used it as a pillow, but he also has said he used it to like dig things as like a shovel. Sure. So there actually might may have been some thought process behind that skateboard, other than you know wanting to carve harshly on the sand with a skateboard. But yeah, I, th- I do think he was using it as a digging tool, so that was actually not such a horrible item. Any any uh, other than than apparently chewy gone as all of us went because I think that the. Uh... The, the consensus after all the tribes shook out was everyone just said, what the fuck did Jan just do? Yeah. So basically, Sukjai got all the athletes and Jan got everyone else plus Tanya. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have the Sukjai tribe, which is, you know, young, fit, and athletic under Team Jake. And then we have Chewigon, which has got Ted, Gandia, Helen... Uh, you know, John, you know, who did John, John looks athletic. I mean, I understand that fact, but it's, it's the, it's the older crowd and Tanya who was sick on the ride over. So you've got, you know, this, this motley crew here. And, and after that, after that pick them, you go to commercial break and you're like, holy crap, soup guy is just going to just steamroll this game. Well, and as Penny points out, they have the, you know, the four best looking guys on their team, like cut to shot of clay, like winded out of breath. <laughs> I should point out, you know, it was obvious when I just watched Thailand again that it's, you know, it's the young athletes against the older out of shape, pe- shape people. But if you look at who Jan got, and uh, admittedly, this was probably an accident. She ended up with a professional former football player, Ted. She ended up with Brian, who was like a Division One college quarterback, also an elite athlete. She ended up with Helen, who was like a swimming instructor for the United States Navy, maybe arguably one of the better swimming, I mean, swimmers in the world or in the United States, probably. So again, I don't think Jan knew she was getting those people, but on paper, she actually kind of ended up with a pretty athletic team. No, she did. And and I think that on Survivor, you can probably count on one hand, you know, the completely out of shape people that have played this game. If, if you're going through the process to go on Survivor, you probably have some sort of, uh, you know, a level of physical fitness in you. I mean, I know that there are notable exceptions, but yeah, you know, then, then you're thinking, well, if everyone's at a certain level, you know, the soup Jai thing looks pretty stacked, but as you can see, and I think that, uh, one of the reasons, uh, uh, going on to the next scene is I think they do something really, really clever with the editing as we see them going away and, and soup Jai's boat is backwards. And we have a lot of fun about that, but then yeah. they get to their beach and you see, uh, Sukjai get to their beach and Shian has an interview where she says we got to the beach and the first thing we should have done was we all should have you know come together hugged you know had a little bonding moment about being together and then started div- di- dividing up uh, the labor but everyone just kind of scattered and you see like Rob swinging from trees and you see all this sort of stuff and then the scene smash cuts over to Chewigon who docks their boat and they all have a big hug together and have a one two three family and that kind of sums up I think the whole kind of rest of the season is you're seeing yeah soup Jai look great on paper but Chewy Gon's got something. Not to mention that they, you know, the boat is backwards. And then we get that <laughs> Thule interview from Rob where he's like, ah, I think the boat went faster uh, backwards than it did forwards. 
Okay, Rob. Yeah, I'm sure Rob, Rob's done the research on that. Yeah. I'm sure. yeah. And then I didn't, I, I, I didn't notice it to my my uh, second rewatch, this latest rewatch that I had, talking about how uh, you know scrambled Sukjai is. There's this, <laughs> this really great quote from Aaron that's just so dumb. As like Rob's like climbing up the tree, she's like, "Oh my God, you're climbing a mango tree." <laughs> she I could bring so much to this tribe, you guys. I get the feeling that poor Aaron's going to take a beating here. <laughs> I will defend Aaron. If you're listening, Aaron, I will defend you. I will be your champion on this one. I'm a, I've always been a closet Aaron fan. No, no, so I actually, actually yeah, yeah, going back, I actually do not really have much against Aaron. I think the fact that we don't see her very much is because she is one of the most level-headed people on this this whole season. So, you <laughs> know, unfortunately, the, the parts they choose from her sometimes are kind of some really dumb little things that they, they throw in there for her. We never really get to see who Aaron is. So I, I don't have anything against Aaron. She's not like Zoe or anything. <laughs> right. She, yeah. she seems level-headed. She seems pragmatic. And I think I'm going to go far as to say this because I don't say things like this very often. I mean, Aaron could probably be the most attractive person that's ever played this game. If we're going to go that way too. So well, I would done. put her top to yeah. Top 10, I would say. Yeah. So well done, Aaron, but Oh my God, she saw a guy climbing a mango tree. By the way, I got to add something that you mentioned, Jay, you were saying that, you know, they, they make a big deal that Chewie gone is the family and Suk Jai are these, you know, lovable morons are running around swimming, swinging on vines. But What's kind of been lost in time, and I know we'll get to this more in the podcast, is that Sukjai was really winning that season. And, you know, by all rights, they really should, the winner should have come from Sukjai if they hadn't kind of blown their lead. So, you know, history has kind of said, you know, the season was all about Chewie Gun. Chewie Gun dominated. They were the elders. They, they were more level headed. But if you go back and watch Thailand, that really isn't the case. So it's the one thing I, I kind of like sticking up for Sukjai a little bit. They weren't that bad a tribe. No, they, the editing they, will kind of yeah, yeah. The editing will beat you over the head that they didn't deserve to win, but they it really wasn't that much of a Chewie Gone blowout. No, it, it wasn't a blowout at all because they went to you know we're gonna kind of get up to the fake merge area here, but you know they get into there even five five, and you can't you can't say worst tribe ever or something when you're going into the merge pretty even. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, as you said, we had this incredible first scene in this first episode, which is the picking of the tribes, the picking of Sukjai, the picking of Chuigan. And, you know, we came away from that segment going, holy shit, Sukjai is amazing. And Chuigan doesn't look great. But the thing is, is that we know hindsight is twenty twenty. We're looking back on the season. Chuigan goes on to dominate, and a Chuigan wins this game. And you you kind of have to explain it. And so it's kind of like you get that first episode or that first segment of the first episode, and you're like, "Holy shit, Sukjai is stacked. Sukjai is taking this all the way." But they're starting to show you why Sukjai doesn't win. It's not that it's not that Sukjai is the worst tribe ever. Not not by a long shot. But we kind of have to give reasons why Sukjai is going to blow this thing later on. Absolutely. Although I should point out at this point that there was something very significant about Thailand that has not been mentioned yet, and that we had our first Asian contestant. Yes. Minor- yeah, this is something minority yeah, in another way. Yeah, it's kind of been you know lost. The importance of that has kind of been lost over time. But there'd never been an Asian on Survivor. I think was Cal maybe half Asian. I kind of forget. But no, he's never been. He's a- half South uh, South American uh, uh, Native American. I love that Paul can reel that off off the top of his head. Yes. <laughs> he knows that. Kel's that. But yeah, so you had the first Asian contestant of all time. And, uh, you know, Xi'an shows up and it's on the first Asian season, which is, I mean, I, I know technically probably Borneo considered Asia, but you think Thailand, okay, this is going to be a heavily Asian influenced season. And so I thought that was kind of cool. They throw in the first Asian season and the first Asian contestant. And 
of course, every, the perception among most people at the time was how an Asian female is going to be small and weak. How is she going to compete on Survivor, which turned out not to be the case. But that was kind of the perception at the time of what Sheehan was probably going to face on Survivor. Sheehan is going to get some good moments here, and we're going to get to her a little bit later in the season. I want to back up really, really slightly. When they were picking the tribes, Jeff said also he had the two buffs. He had the purple buff, and he had the, was it, was, was Tui Gun Orange? Yeah, it's like yeah. orange-reddish kind of deal. And he said, you're picking Sunrise or you're picking Sunset, and this is going to be based on where you're going to go with camp. And Jake picks Sunset, which is the purple buff, which is Sukjai, and Sunrise. Did you get the metaphor in the Sunrise and Sunset with the, with the, with the camp things? You know, I've watched the season about 40 times or something, and I, to this day, I still am not 100% sure what the metaphor was. Now, I understand one of them lives in a cave, and one of them has an easy time getting water or something, but it's really not that well spelled out for you. It's kind of a, an oblique metaphor. It's an oblique metaphor. I think it has to do with the buff color, orange being sunrise, and, and purple being <laughs> yes. sunset. But but as far as like where they're living, I don't understand. But we do need to say that, yes, Sukjai <laughs> went to their shelter, and their whole advantage was that their water was like two feet from their camp. Yeah. But they had no shelter, and so they had to build a shelter, which actually becomes a big problem for them. But Chewigan goes to their camp, and they get a cave, which is freaking awesome, but their water is a mile away. And for some reason, the first few episodes, and I think maybe this is one of these indifferent malaise kind of thing, is we really focus on Chewigan getting water a lot, which I guess was a problem because their water was a, was a million miles away. But it actually becomes a point of contention in this first episode. Yeah. yeah, was that the one? Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. No, I was going to say, this is like, um, which I've always appreciated Gandhi as a character, but I mean, it's really, it starts, I mean, Gandhi's on the show for four episodes, but there's a reason why Gandhi is on the cover of the DVD. I mean, because she is just such a great character that we're going to talk about as we go through these, you know, the first half of the season here. But it really kind of starts in this quest of water, uh, quest for water. If you go back and, and you watch it, you really pay attention to Gandia. You know, they're, they're on this wild go- uh, goose chase trying to find the water, and they decide to start scaling these cliffs. And, you know, and John's up there at the very top trying to pull everyone up there. And, you know, Helen says, I don't think we're supposed to, you know, if we're supposed to come up here every couple of days with a huge gallon jug, I don't think we're on the right track here. And then you have Gandia, you know, has all these little comments here and there, like, "Yeah, and I do not feel confident in my rock, in my rock climbing skills." <laughs> <laughs> no, and 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 John, you can see John separating because John's an out an outdoorsy type and an adventurer, and he was like, "I'm just going to go off on my own." And you know, that's that's something you should never really do if you're going to try to play a social game to win a million dollars. But John goes off on his own, and then he and. uh and Helen and, and Tanya kind of go ahead and they find the water source finally. And John's like, hey, I have an idea. Let's 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 go to this stagnant pool and, tell and that's the water source. And Helen's kind of like, ah, great. That sounds fun. <laughs> and then like they're you know, they took the boat in and like the rest of them are swimming in like a half mile to a mile into this place. And then, you know, they're getting there and, and Gandhi is like, why didn't they come out and get us? And she's like, you know, come on, you retards. Come and get us. And she's so. <laughs> She just has all these lines. And then, you know, and then she's like always complaining about stuff. She's like, I kind of wondered why, you know, John or Helen didn't come out with the boat to get us. And then when we got there, they thought it'd be funny to pull a joke on us. And and the joke didn't last very long if they're showing it on TV. John's like, here's this pool we could do. We could fit. Or there's the water source. It's right over there. Yeah. And, you work on his delivery. <laughs> and then I like what he says. Or we could open up this thing here at uh, fresh water in there. And then Jan's like, well, why don't we do that? 
<laughs> they didn't even realize it was a joke. That's how bad of a joke it yeah, was. Yeah, then it cuts to Ghana. She's like, and I was like, ah, yeah, you guys really got us, but it really wasn't the time to joke. I'm like, oh god, yeah. So John Raymond has to work on you know, you know, his the theme of the joke, the appropriateness of the joke, the timing. Like, you have to send him to that guy that taught Borat how to tell jokes in America. Like John Raymond needs joke school. <laughs> this water hole is not good. <laughs> This water is brackish knot. <laughs> oh, so then. Yeah, and it's <laughs> great. Go ahead. And what's funny is that scene is totally insignificant. There's no purpose to have that scene on the episode, except John gets voted out later and there's no reason for it. So they have to show John doing one thing. So that's that becomes John's one moment on Survivor. The joke that is completely ineffective. It's not even effective enough to piss people off. You can get voted off a survivor for backstabbing people. You can vote, get people voted off a survivor for, you know, spreading rumors. But you can also get voted off a survivor for just the poor execution of a joke. <laughs> I know. Come on. I was offended as a comedian. That was horrible. It was bad. You know, and, and, and Chewy Gun's problems with, was with water. And then we go over to Sukjai and they're having all kinds of problems with shelter and everything like that. And uh, this is where this is where Mario's hero Stephanie and uh, and Paul's hero Jed really really shine. I think. <laughs> I, I got to say something about Jed before we start. This is something I've been waiting to talk about for years and years. I've been waiting to talk about dental assistance from Texas too. Go! Have you guys ever seen that that uh, that animation special Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer that shows up every year on Christmas? Yes. You guys have seen that. You know Hermie the Elf. Yeah. Hermie the Elf is a dead ringer for Jed. <laughs> and every year, every fucking year, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer comes on at Christmas, and my wife watches it, and she cracks up because Hermie comes out, and it's fucking Jed from Thailand. It really is. I never thought yeah. about that before. You know what's even funnier? You're going to die when you hear this. Do you know what Hermie wants to do in that Rudolph special? You he know what his number to, one ask? He wants to be a dentist. He wants to be a dentist. <laughs> yeah, that's his whole thing. He doesn't want to be an elf. He wants to be a dentist. Oh, that's every funny. Every time we watch Thailand, my wife just cracks up when fucking jed comes out looking the dead ringer for Hermie, and you hear he's a dentist so i'm just saying there's something to look for if you are a fan of of christmas animation specials and you like thailand there's your connection right there jed is Hermie the elf yes and when they were on the island of misfit toys and they're trying to get out and you know Hermie the elf is like no dude this sucks we have to go fishing exactly and then he loses the net <laughs> losing the, uh, that's not in the first episode yet but i know yeah, but yeah that's Jed even has the hair, same hairstyle as Hermie. He really it's exact does. Same. Yeah, he has that lopsided blonde hair that looks ridiculous on Jed. It's great, but I think that uh, another reason why I feel like Thailand gets lost in the shuffle is that there's a lot of good lessons, uh, Survivor lessons. You know, if someone were to watch seasons of Survivor and kind of take different lessons on how to play the game you know there, there are seasons like amazon where you can learn a lot of like weird nuanced strategic things like from sester nino and stuff like that but i mean stuff on thailand is so basic but yet it's so important it's it's the basis to to brian's win and all this sort of stuff but i mean step one is 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 if you're on a tribe of eight and like six and a half people want to build a shelter build the fucking shelter like don't argue and go off on your own what the hell jed yeah, I love Jed and Stephanie. They separate themselves. And Rob, too, right? It's like five versus three, if I recall. 
Right, Rob is just kind of going around, just going, "Hey, bro, look at my hands, bro." He's just you know, yeah. see where you know we kind of get the first, you know, Sheehan versus Rob, you know, kind of clash, and he's just being such a dick to her. He's like, "Let me, <laughs> let me see your hands, sweetie. Let me see your hands." That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. She's like, "I'm not going to argue with you, dude." She's like, "Let me see your hands." My point exactly. Walk away. Like, <laughs> he's a skilled debater. Yeah. Shan has, has her moments later on where, you know, she is kind of obstinate and puts her puts her line in this, her feet in the sand. And maybe she shouldn't be. And, you know, she's needlessly arguing. But, yeah, in that first scene and Rob's just like, why aren't you helping with the shelter? Move that leaves. And she's just like, I was told to go find food. Let me see your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see your hands, sweetie. Let me see your hands. She's like, I was told to find food. If you want me to do this, I'll do this. But I was told to find food. Whatever, bro. You were doing this forever. <laughs> And like Jake is over there going like, now, now, I told her to get food. That is all me. And Rob's like, like, you should have come down on me. (laughs) Getting back to your point, Jay. Yeah, it's um, it is funny watching that opening episode for Suk Jai where six people are all building a shelter and Jed and Stephanie cleverly decide, see what all those other six people are doing and where they're bonding. Let's not do that. (laughs) And so they basically go down and hang out on the beach and really. Jed and Stephanie are irrelevant players the entire rest of the season after that because of that. No, and, and because Sukjai wins the first couple of immunities, no one's going home there. So every time we go over to Sukjai, we really have kind of two things to look at. We have Robin Sheehan doing Robin Sheehan things, and then we have Jed and Stephanie being separate from the rest of the tribe and everyone just kind of going, what's up with those guys? And yeah. them going, those people are fucking idiots. That's why, that's why <laughs> I still don't really understand the breakdown of of Ken, Jake, Aaron, Penny, like you know, where, how does that group break down in there? Because we're so focused yeah. on all the the external stuff that once we get down to those four, then it's really kind of up in the air what's going to happen because we focus so much on the four problematic members of Sukjai rather than the four probably most functional members. Yeah, to this day, I don't think anybody really knows what the breakdown of Sukjai was. I mean, you have Ken, Jake, Penny, Aaron. You know, that's kind of the 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 focus there. If I had to make an educated guess. I've always thought, you know, Jake's kind of the father figure, but I always guessed that Penny was like the brains behind that tribe and she was kind of the central person that they all were aligned with. But again, I have no way to prove that because they never show any of yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of what you, th- I mean, you think. and then, But then, you know, Ken has all these problems with Penny and is always, you know, bitching about, you know, uh, bitching about Penny to Sheehan. And then obviously he has to kind of go back to Penny once, you know, the whole fake merge thing happens. But it was almost like Jake and Ken had a good relationship with Sheehan, but Aaron and Penny didn't like Sheehan. So it just, it was, it's very bizarre. Yeah, and there's another scene I just wanted to point out. I don't know if a lot of people caught this, where I think it's the opening episode where Aaron is walking around wearing, I think, Ken's shirt. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, were they like a, a showman that just never got shown on TV or something? I mean, it seemed awfully chummy the first day that the, the, the girl's wearing the guy's shirt. And it's just, it just one of those little things I always wondered about. And there's no proof. I've never heard this brought up in an interview. But like, were Ken and, and Aaron super close? No one knows. It is weird that nucleus that nucleus of Sukjai because we get a lot of Sukjai, but a lot of it is, you know, Rob and Sheehan really kind of stealing the spotlight. And then we get some fun introspectives from Jake every once in a while. And then we have Stephanie and Jed who are just, you know, mopey McMopersons over there. And then we have to go to Chewygon because they're so interesting. And so we get this Sukjai thing and then you have, you know, and I just always thought it was a crying shame because we've already kind of made fun of Aaron a little bit. But I don't know a whole ton about Aaron. And no one does. Yeah. No one does. And Aaron seems like a real cool person. And it's like, well, we didn't get a whole lot of her. So, well, see ya. I have to point out one more thing about Sukjai is that, you know, we were kind of 
saying you know Stephanie's a dud character. Jed's kind of a Jed's kind of a dud character. But Stephanie, there's a weird scene in there right at the start where Stephanie goes skinny dipping and like they're all amazed, like wow, this woman's like Superwoman. She's crazy. She'll do anything. I mean, again, just, anyone's so in touch with their sexuality. sexuality yeah. yeah, but it just backs up my belief that. Stephanie should have been a huge character, and she just kind of gets sick and gives up or something. But there's that weird scene in episode one where she skinny dips, yeah. and it's all about Stephanie. They're all talking about Stephanie. Yeah, that's when Shan, that's when Shan says she's not going to show her tatas. Yeah, it's just an odd scene for a, such a minor, irrelevant character. It's an odd scene, but again, I think it kind of again it it lets us have that fun uh, interview with Shean, and then it's kind of just showing that Stephanie's weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. That's how it goes. But going into weird, we get to our first challenge. Yes, and and I, I want to jump in here with the challenges thing, too, because I think this is kind of uh, important what happens here. Up until Thailand, the first four seasons were very kind of – there was a system to what challenges they used. The first challenge was always something to do with some kind of fire-bearing challenge. You either had to row this raft in with fire on it. You had to push this cart with fire. There was always something about how you were bringing fire from one location to the other. There were other things that were always the same. Second challenge was always a gross food challenge. You know, the final four was the fallen comrades. Around final seven or so, final seven, final eight, there was a fire-building challenge. You know, the first challenge at the merge was a endurance challenge. So it was really, you know, mm-hmm. there was this formula to it. And Thailand took this building big step and i think it was kind of hit and miss in some cases i think they have some pretty cool challenges this season i think there are also some kind of really boring challenges to watch as we can talk about as we go through it but this is kind of a big deal as we go into this first challenge it's a you know not our typical first challenge it's not our typical first challenge and it it kind of uh took advantage of the of the place there's a lot of challenges that you know kind of are circum like circumnavigating or going around a small island in some way. And this is kind of one, too, where they all are on a boat, and Jeff Probst is like, all right, you're going to paddle around a freaking island, and there's going to be some puzzles along the way, and you got to stop and do the puzzles. Yeah, it's funny. You know, history will remember that Chewie Gon ends up losing this challenge, but history has forgotten the fact that Chewie Gon was kicking Sukjai's ass for 80% <laughs> of the challenge. Yeah. You know, they, they were way ahead. They were like almost half of an island ahead. Yeah, they, they had to stop for two puzzles, I think. The first one was kind of like a rope maze, and the second one was that slidey puzzle where you kind of slide the things around and you have to get the, the piece with the knife out and then, you know, cut a rope down or something. It also was the no, that was the one that oh, Gandhi had to yeah, 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 unhook. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, they had well, to... I love that one because, you know, one of them, they have to, you know, paddle their boat and then they have to pick their best swimmer to go swim out and dive down. And, you know, Chewie Gon has... Helen, who is a United States military swimming instructor, again, one of the better swimmers in the United States, yet they inexplicably chose Jan to be their swimming representative. And they had Jan go out. We don't want the Navy and swimming instructor. I think we want the batshit old lady. And then at the other one, we we make Gandia swim over and solve this puzzle. Like, really? Talk about, like, using our resources. I would would make sick Tanya jump overboard over Gandia. Well, Gandia did tell us at the start of the game that women are more logical. Yeah, we handle pain better. Yeah. We're just more logical. Throughout the game, you know, if there's anybody who is logical, handles pain, and handles stress and anxiety well, it's Gandia. It's Gandia. Really good stress management. Yeah. (laughs) She's she's on that that slidey puzzle thing, and she's, like, got her her hands and her head going... Uh, she's like, I just gotta calm down. Gotta calm yeah. down, guys. She's not, not even. She's not even paying attention. She's like, keeps looking over, getting frustrated. And then the best part about one of this, like, I love the scene. And then the thing is, is like, like 
Ted is yelling, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, come on and, get on the of, and he has the paddle going like he's going to start kind of like, you know, when you're like, when like uh, you have like a kid or something. You're like, hey, we're going to leave without you. We're going to leave. And you kind of start slowly backing out of the driveway to make him like run to the car. He's like trying this approach with Gandhi, like hurry up, hurry up as he starts to paddle as if that's going to make her solve the puzzle faster. I love Gandhi is standing there for what, half an hour? And half of the time, she's just looking at the puzzle. She's not actually moving anything around. No, and then there's this great scene where, you know, she's standing there. It takes her forever. And then fucking Hermie the elf comes swimming up. <laughs> he does the puzzle in like 10 seconds and then leaves. And then when she finally does get it, like, watch the scene. It's super dangerous because she, like, rips out the knife and she cuts the rope. And then she, like, jumps into the water with this knife in her hand. Like, it's, it's a very dangerous scene. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of not so uh, safe stuff. I mean, even even at the at the first one with the with the maze, I think one of the flag drops and, you know, Tanya or whoever is or Penny or whoever is going and they're jumping in the water and there's like, you know, edges and everything going on. Yeah. It's like, how does someone not break a limb on this challenge? <laughs> so, yeah. So what? Sukjai ends up winning that because Gandia chokes a challenge harder than pretty much any challenge has ever been choked before it was a huge choke and i think it really kind of got swept under the rug but yes i think that mario's right we have to talk about it we have this first challenge and a lot of it's pretty physical they had to row their boat around a freaking island and then solve some puzzles but uh chewy gone had them beat had them beat by a long time and they got to that last puzzle with a big lead and then Gandhi can't do the puzzle, and uh, and and Jed the elf comes in and does the puzzle, and they leave. They go and they win, and everyone's like, "Yeah, bro, we smoked them, bro, bro, young people." Well, and it's like, eh, eh, kind of a lucky win there, guys. Yeah, the old people beat you on the physical part. Yeah, they rode faster. <laughs> Maybe the problem was that Chewie Sukjai didn't have their boat turned backwards. Yeah, that yeah. was probably it. It's back. It's it's, it's faster backwards and forwards, bro. <laughs> Well, and then, uh, which, by the way, really cool immunity idol, what they do here. Um, Jeff's really proud of it, too. i got to show you this immunity I got idol. to show you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I love about you know, the scene that follows is we, yeah, I think we were done with Sukjay for the rest of the episode, so we head back to camp with Chewie gone, and we have this whole scene of, you know, Gandhi demonstrating how well she handles, handles stress. You know, she's just, like, bawling and stuff. They're all comforting her, and she's walking hand-in-hand hand with John, the pastor. And, like, one of the first things she says is, we were kicking their ass, those bastards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, and then you've got, like, you've got, like, Ted in the background going, like, you know, did you do your best? Well, then there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> And then the great, the great uh, sound clip, it, you know, it cuts to her confessional and she says, uh, I feel like it's time for the sister to go. And then, of course, we lead right into what? The completely unexpected and unexplained John being voted out. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's funny is that, you know, we have this choke by Gandia and, and it's not fully explained. We have we have this huge immunity challenge biff by Gandia. We come back. Paul is exactly right. We come back. Gandia is just bawling her eyes out about this challenge and and showing all this stress handling. And she's like, I you know I blew it. It's time for a sister to go. But then they're like, Well, it could be John because he's weird and Tanya's sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's got to be the worst first boot explanation. I mean, they they did no effort whatsoever to explain why John was voted out. <laughs> It, it always jumps out at me when I watch Thailand. It's like they didn't even try. No, it, it's almost like a record skip. It's like, arr, arr, arr. nope, it's John. <laughs> and then, I yeah. mean, and then the whole reaction from getting voted off is like they're all like fighting back tears. You're like, okay, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. wait, what? 
they do show you, you know, if you are paying attention, it's kind of like if you, you know, and that's why I think that Thailand is, is go back and rewatch Thailand. It's a great season. It's fantastic. And, and, and if you don't know what happens, great. If you're listening to us, obviously we're kind of spoiling who goes home and whatnot. But you see in that first episode, you see that John is kind of isolating himself. He's doing what Stephanie and Jed are doing on the other side. It's just not really being explained that much. And you can kind of see him sort of trying to take the lead or telling people what to do. And they do say when they were rowing, you know, John was frustrated when they were rowing out because he's like, these guys don't know how to row a boat. We're going in circles. And he's trying to tell them not how to go in circles. And I think Tandy's going like, well, John, he, he really liked to tell us what to do there. Yeah. And that's really the key right there. In fact, it's it's kind of interesting when I'm watching these older seasons, just in retrospect, like after the, the immunity challenge, they go back to camp and there's maybe a minute or a minute and a half of footage before they go to tribal council. There's no 20 minutes of extended strategy talk. You don't go through every possibility. They don't change their mind. It's just, here's what happened. Here are the three people that might get voted out. Then they go to tribal council. <clears throat> and what's interesting when you watch these seasons is how much is left to the imagination of the viewer. Like, you really are supposed to piece together in your head why this person got voted out. And it kind of makes you a better survivor player. You kind of understand the game watching these older seasons because you have to do so much of the work in your head. And like you said, right there, Tanya says, well, you know, John just kind of uh, tells us what to do and he thinks he's the leader. And, and even though they don't explicitly point it out, that is exactly why he was voted out. In fact, Brian Heideck, just a couple uh, weeks ago, he was on a, a podcast, Survivor Oz, and they asked him that question. That was the question I specifically asked them to ask Brian Heideck. Why the hell was John voted out? Because I thought it was just maybe he was he thought he was the leader. And that's exactly what Heideck says. Heideck said, well, you know, it was a case of there was seven people who were working together as a tribe. And there was one person who kind of thought he was in charge of the tribe and the other seven people didn't like that. And that's really what happened. He's, Brian even said it wasn't even my choice. It wasn't Helen's choice. It was just in a unanimous thing. We're all like, we just can't deal with this guy thinking he's better than us and trying to run everything. and It just won't work. So, I mean, that was John's downfall, although there's really barely even a hint of it in the episode. Well, Helen was more focused on Clay's uh, bank account. That's why he got the vote. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I do have to point out at this point, I have to give a shout out to that temple where they held tribal council. Oh, yeah, one of my yeah. all time, Very cool. one of my favorite tribal council sets in Thailand. Also, what Mario is not telling you is that when Survivor Oz asked Brian that question, said, why was John voted out? Brian said, who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. Mario uh, listened <laughs> to a podcast. I know. Well, I had to. Heidek, Heidek is one of those guys that... He has never given that many interviews. And when he does, the ones he did in the past, he was just kind of dicking around. He wouldn't give you a straight answer. He just wanted it to be over with. So the fact that he was actually doing a podcast that was answering legitimate questions, I had to uh, kind of nose get my nose in on that one. Because as anybody, obviously, who knows Survivor can tell you, you can learn a lot about how Survivor works just by listening to Brian talk. I think Brian, I've always thought this, he knows the game better than anybody has ever known it. And that includes Richard Hatch. That Brian, he really... If, you, if, you, if I could recommend that, go listen to Survivor Oz. Listen to that Brian Heideck interview. It's about the best interview I have ever heard with a survivor. No, it's good. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah, and I, I think it goes back to the whole point. Survivor Thailand is a great season to watch if you want to learn some real good Survivor basics. And I know it's the fifth season coming along. We should know the basics by now. We need to go into hardcore strategy. But that's not really how the seasons were back then. As you said, we had tons of camp life. Then we get the challenge. And then we have just a little bit going into tribal council. We have tribal council. And, and a lot of times, and in these future episodes, you kind of know who's going home 
well before tribal council or anything like that. It's the, the point yeah. is not to shock you with who goes home. It's okay if you can figure out who's going home. Once you, you know, you can kind of say, well, if it's Chewy gone, it's going to be this person. If it's Soup Jai, it's going to be this person. And then you watch the, uh, the immunity challenge and you say, okay, well, this tribe won. That means this person's probably going to go home. It's, it's, not a, it's not a matter of trying to, I feel like today in a lot of modern Survivor, they try to sort of shock you or mislead you with, with who's going home. And they're going to dazzle you with all this like strategy scenarios stuff and that's not really the important thing the important thing is like why what's going on what's happening around it you know mm-hmm. okay this person's going home let's figure out why this person's going home and 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 with john you know we did get those clues in there that you know he was kind of uh, off on his own thinking he was you know the leader or knew what was best and you know they didn't really appreciate it and they all just kind of said john and that's really the reason why he went home so again it's another lesson just like stephanie and jed if everyone wants to do a shelter just go along and do the shelter don't be a, a, a negative nancy and with john it's you know hey i know everyone's steering the boat wrong but you know instead of just saying you're all doing it wrong we need to do it this way kind of go with it maybe try to guide it a little more under the radar i'll I'll drop a little info here on on you guys you guys might have heard the story most new survivor fans will not have heard this so you will find this particularly uh juicy oh grandpa mario go ahead (laughs) yeah i used to talk to a lot of the thailand contestants no yeah out of all the seasons that i was i kind of had inside behind the scenes dirt on thailand was one that i had a lot on and something that several of them mentioned to me, and I, I, this is one of those things I always think I'll get in trouble for saying it, but I heard it so many times that it's pretty well known, is that the, the Chewy Guns thought it was kind of odd because John would show a lot of attention to Tanya to the point like he would always snuggle up next to her in the shelter at night and like he was always kind of hanging around her. And like even if she would move somewhere else in the shelter, he'd kind of end up next to her at the end of the night. And I've been told that a lot of the Chewy Guns thought that was kind of creepy. And... Again, I don't know if that's why he was voted off or not, but I've heard this from numerous people that, oh, yeah, it's because they were all weirded out by his his attention towards Tanya. So, again, I don't know if I'll get sued for saying something like that since I'm, uh, theoretically John's probably happily married and all that. But this is one thing I've always heard, and it's something people always find interesting when I tell them that. Yeah, I never yeah, heard was, that was, before. Yeah, there was a weird thing going on with with Tanya and John. And, and in fact, Tanya has even told me, she said, yeah, to this day, people still joke about it. Hey, is John still like calling you up and stuff? So there was, there was some other stuff going on there too, that obviously we didn't see on TV. So they voted John out first because they felt he was being creepy being around Tanya. So then they vote out Tanya next. (laughs) Yeah. Tanya, why don't you go hang out in loser lodge all by yourself? (laughs) They weren't that concerned, Mario. I'm telling you right now. Oh, by the way, they fucking hated Tanya. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but that's a good point. So so basically in Jan's selection of the tribe, she picked John, the guy who creeped everyone out by hanging around Tanya, and then she picked Ted, who creeped everyone out by hanging around Gandia. So Jan, way to go with the team selection. Well, notice she's a first grade teacher. She is into high school or adult education teacher, you know. <laughs> Once, once, once they pass about eight years old, she's like, I don't know, how to, whatever, hormones at that point. Yeah, by the way, I have, to, I have to point out before we leave episode one, Brian Heidek's amazing tribal council answers. Remember that the completely bullshit answer he gives about how Survivor's not about strategy, Jeff. It's all about love. You just yeah. have to have love. And and the question is, it's like if you like watch, it's like I mean, he's, he's usually a really articulate guy, but just like how he gets from point A to point B here, he's asked about, you know. Do you have an advantage in this game because you are a used car salesman, so that gives you an <laughs> advantage on reading people? He said, no. If you do that, 
it's because you're a shallow it's, you're, you're a shallow. shallow person and then he ends up with it's it's all about love yeah you're like huh yeah by the way i banned 20 women last week jess <laughs> It, it's it's also to point out in episode one, Brian gets a slow start as far as uh, this this season goes. Obviously, as people kind of drop, we we get to see more of Brian, and we get to see. But Brian's not just his game. That's that's not even the right way to put it. But it almost his his uh, his sociopathy kind of comes through here. And there there are moments where you know he's either really early in the morning or he's not quite on or something like that, and you're just like, oh my god, this guy is cold. <laughs> Well, he does have. We completely skipped over it, where he says early in episode one that this this is not a game. I'm here on a business trip. I'm here on a business trip, and he has that wry smile, like you know, kind of vacant, you know, there. Yeah, like, this this is a business trip, and then he gets into tribal council. It's like it's about love, Jeff, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, this guy. Well, yeah, the thing. I mean, that's basically the same quote that Hatch gave, where you know, the million dollar check's mine. I'm already won it. You might as well make it out to me. Heidek says basically the exact same thing, yet he's not stupid enough to word it in a way that it can come back and haunt him like Rich did. Like, Heidek is so controlled the way he phrases things. It's just kind of chilling and, and amazing at the same time to watch. I was going to save this for later, and I'm going to say it again now, but the fact that you were talking about Heidek might be the best mind that ever played this game, and we're already talking about just the stone-cold gangster that he is and just with the business trip and stuff like that. How on earth do we have an entity called the Survivor Hall of Fame and Brian Heidek is not in it? That is bullcrap. Yeah, we'll get to that later. That's a injustice of injustices right there. That's I mean, there's no one. I would not put anybody up against Brian in a flat in a straight out stranger against stranger playing Survivor for the first time. I don't think anybody ever beats Brian in a hundred years. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But he doesn't go home. John goes home. And I got do have to point out one thing since you said, you know, Brian's you know straight up gangster, yeah, he dominates the season. What's funny if you watch Thailand again is Brian really doesn't dominate it all the way. Oh. There's there's bigger characters early on. We'll get to this, but Helen really dominates the airtime and the confessionals way before Brian starts to. Well, I think that's so it's a misnomer. Yeah. It's, it's it's not about you know Brian was not a, a an airtime hog. He was he was winning the game and you know yeah. doing a lot of things. He was relating to people because if you, we're gonna get to it later seasons, you know uh, uh, some of the Chewigon people, Jan and Gandhi and Helen, are bitching about the men. But you hear about when they bitch about men and they use names, they're using Ted's name and they're yeah. using Clay's name. They never mention Brian's name. Yeah, no one ever mentions that Brian could be a threat. <laughs> Yeah, he's, it's just really interesting. and But I just wanted to correct that perception because a lot of listeners, I'm sure, will think that. that You know, the perception of Thailand is that there was one player and there was one tribe. There was Chewy Gun and there was Brian. And that's really not the case if you watch it. Now, Sukjai eats up a lot, a lot of your time. And then when you get to Chewy Gun, Brian is just kind of there. Yep, just lurking in the background, and playing then, his guitar, playing his guitar. And every once in a while, he'll do something and you're like, oh, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, before we leave off episode one, I just got to point out trivia fact that the I never thought it would have been possible in our cases that a male was voted out first in Survivor. And in Thailand, it happens again. Two seasons in a row that a male went first. And then if you follow that logically, it happens again the third season with uh, mm-hmm. Amazon. Like, whoa, what the, this isn't the Survivor I'm used to when you got males getting knocked out first. But it happens three seasons in a row. I know. And two people so similar, Peter and John. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have a type. I don't know, but John may have had discussions about his holes when he was talking to Tanya. <laughs> that could have Thank done you. it. Boy, that could go in so many directions. I know. Like, I like to leave it open-ended like an ink blot test. <laughs> we spent a whole hour on episode one. This is, this is boding well for a three-parter podcast. 
hey, when you put me in charge, we're going places. Let me tell you. That's right. Well, we got episode one. Episode one was so good, though, and I think we're going to get through to episode three. But let's talk about episode two for a little bit. It's a good one. It's, again, more character-developing stuff. But uh, we get more shit with Chewie gone in their water, and, and specifically Helen getting lost, which is fan-fucking-tastic. Oh, is this the one with her and Jan where she threatens to shoot Jan? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. great scene. Great. Helen is so – yeah. You know, as much as you say Brian should be in the Survivor Hall of Fame – Helen should be right up there in the Survivor Character Hall of Fame. How amazing she is in some of her scenes. I mean, the fact how she's just yeah, she's always pissed off about something. And, she, and when Paul was doing an impression of her earlier, where she says, "I have to carry this gallon jug," like it's just the way that Helen talks. You can just picture her saying it because of the emphasis. She's such a naturally empath- uh, emphatic speaker. It's funny. No, and and it's great because to paint the scene, we kind of get going with the. Uh, Chewigon's water issue, the fact that, you know, they've got this great cave that they didn't have to build a shelter, but they do have to paddle like a mile to get their water. And they went out in the morning and Helen was like, no, I, I can find it. I don't need the map. And she takes Jan with her and uh, they get lost. And, and Clay has a lot of funny stuff to say about that. But then, you know, Helen's talking about, you know, how they got lost and they're going this. And Jan, of course, is no help because Jan is old and no help. And, you know, <laughs> Finally, Helen finds the water. So she's like, I got it, Jan. And she goes back to the boat. And there's a great musical cue where they go back and they pan toward the boat. And there's the boat just in the shallow end of the water. And Jan's just floating in the water by the boat, <laughs> looking like she's just done jazzercise or something yeah. like that. And then Helen has the great quote where she's like, oh, my God, seriously, I would have sh- I would have shot Jan and then shot myself. <laughs> yeah, That's why she doesn't carry a gun. That's right. I just saw a great quote about this today, just on the internet. I forget where it was. Someone was talking about that scene specifically, and they said, I love how Helen comes back from carrying the water, and she looks, and there's a shot of Jan floating face up in the water. And the only look on Helen's face is, it's a two-parter. Number one is, I don't have time to deal with this shit. And the other look is, she's disappointed that Jan's not floating face down. <laughs> and then the sound effect goes, like the gong, or whatever, the gong. Something's like, gong. <laughs> And it's great, and it's it's another it's another fun thing because we get uh, paired with Helen and Jan getting lost, and Jan being useless, and Helen just going, "Oh my God, what do I have to do to put up with this shit?" We have the men playing golf, <laughs> men playing golf, and you know, mock that all you want, but that's your final three alliance right there. I mean, that's this is how Survivor is played. So many people think it's about strategy or alliances or outwitting, scheming, you know, you know, finding a uh, hidden idols, but really. All Survivor is is finding two guys you want to play golf with, and those are the guys you want to hang out with for 39 days. We got three holes. We got a par three. We got a par six. <laughs> and, you know, then, then when she comes back, you know, once they finally make it back to shore, you know, we kind of get these little, like, you know, the first kind of, like, Clay taking jabs at Helen, which we'll see all the way to the end. You know, he you know he uh, he makes some comment about how Helen always, you know, has to be right about everything. And, uh, you know, uh, she, I don't think she's going to go out with the map again because she thought she was, you know, too good to use the map and stuff so we see the beginning of kind of you know clay and helen not always seeing eye to eye yeah they are one of the more underrated comedy teams in survivor history they're always kind of jabbing at each other no they're fantastic because helen is so is it is it episode two or what episode is it where he taught where he where he compares her to an encyclopedia because that is just a yeah it's 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 the next three or four somewhere yeah yeah, Yeah. somewhere in there it's it's three or four it's great but it's it's the uh you know she's like an encyclopedia she's got so much knowledge but you know you just you just open it to get the information there's nothing there's nothing fun in there to read fun in there to read (laughs) (laughs) ah hellfire (laughs) clay clay's fantastic so we, so we have, we have again, we have Chewie gone, 
having trouble with water and clay having a golf course. Then we go back to soup Jai and they're still building that fucking shelter. <laughs> oh, six people are still building the shelter. Cause Jed and Stephanie are sleeping in the sand. Jed and Stephanie are sleeping in the sand and they are getting water. And I, there's, there's a great confessional. I don't know at all, but it's, it's our, it's our fun guy, Rob. And he's just like, well, you know, Jed, he's working, you know, bro, but stop building shelter. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Ken, you know, not many people remember Ken was even in this season, but he's got a couple of great quotes. And one of them is uh, where he's talking about Jed this episode where Ken says, Jed isn't just lazy. He's freaking lazy. He's freaking lazy. <laughs> You know, he does explain that later. He's just like, you know, some people are just lazy and that's whatever, but he's freaking lazy and he's hurting us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I should point out at this point, I have always said that Thailand is one of the one or two funniest seasons of all time. And it, I can never understand why people say they don't like Thailand or how it's boring or how it sucks. It's like, you can hear how much we're laughing about this. And we're only 10 minutes into episode two. Like, we all love the season. It's just, it's just weird characters, funny confessionals, quirky antics. It's, it's just nonstop of like funny moments. I love Thailand so much for that reason. It's funny moments. And it's again, lessons on how to play the game. Cause they're trying to build the shelter and then they finally get something up and then, you know, they go to night, they go to bed at night and it rains and, you know, Jed and <laughs> Stephanie, of course are like, well, we're not going to sleep in the shelter. We're going to sleep on the sand or whatever. And then it starts to downpour. So then, the, you know, they're like, well, I noticed Jed came back in and slept and Jed's like, well, yeah, I'm going to use your shelter. Cause I was getting water and stuff and you guys use yeah. the water. And it's just like, Oh my God, seriously, if everyone's building the shelter, build the shelter and then just say, Hey, I'm just going to do a water run real quick or something real, you know, that's not just like, fuck you guys in your shelter. He's so dramatic about this. I don't know if it's this episode or the next one. I think it might be this, this episode too, when he gets annoyed at the five of them for going to go gather food together, you know, like doing those things that humans naturally do is, you know, to go harvest and find food and work as a team here. And, and uh, so he's sitting with Stephanie and Rob complaining about how many people does it need to go get that food or whatever. And then, and then he uses my favorite measuring unit ever. You know, you don't need five people to go look for food in, you know, an area the size of a kitchen. <laughs> like oh how how, how like oh how, how big is your uh your shelter oh it's about three kitchens big um <laughs> but yeah it just is like oh okay so <laughs> you're being way more productive for the by the tribe for sitting around the fire bitching to stephanie and rob than the five of them who go out and kind of have fun collecting food for each other okay jed he really is the misfit elf yeah truly I have to point out, though, that scene where, you know, they're all sleeping in the shelter and then Jed comes and joins them and then Stephanie stays out in the rain. You know, Stephanie's kind of badass in her own little way. Like, you know, she skinny dips when no one else will skinny dip. She refuses to do any work. And then everyone else stays in the shelter when it rains. Even Jed goes in the shelter. But not me. I'm Stephanie. I'll fucking sleep out here in the rain like I'm a badass. And then I'll complain all next day because I'm fucking yeah. sick. Yeah, I kind of like that about her. <laughs> I think she I think she was way more memorable than people remember her as being. Oh, okay. If if you say so, you just the bar, the pro- bar is really you, low, though. You just you just want to prove that person wrong who said you should go the whole <laughs> podcast without mentioning Stephanie Dale. Now we get a Stephanie reference every two minutes. Thanks, commenter. Exactly. There you go. I think that was Russ Bartlett who might have said that. Thanks, Russ. Russ. You know the good thing about Stephanie is that she works hard and she plays hard. <laughs> oh God. That's right. Here Zoe two point oh. She's like Zoe's daughter. Zoe's not old enough to have a daughter, Mario. Come on now. <laughs> oh, wait, she is. Anyway, so. 
<laughs> so we have this we have the scene, but again, we have a nice smash cut from one tribe to the other. We have, you know, Jed and Stephanie not working together, complaining about the other people doing things together, like gathering food. And then we smash cut over to Chewygon, where they are like saying, Well, it's Helen's 20th wedding anniversary. Let's go, you know, pick her flowers and make a crown for her, and we're gonna make her feel special tonight. And you're yeah. like, what the hell? It was a great scene. Again, they're bonding. Let's, you know, make fun of Chewie Gone for having irrelevant shit. But that's how, again, that's how Survivor is played. You got exactly. eight people that bond and enjoy each other's company. Yep. They did it. They did it. It's a great scene. And, and I think that the Brian's guitar, we've got a lot of good singing stuff over at Chewie Gone. You know. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say good singing. I was going to say that was maybe the worst song I've ever heard in my life when they sing her anniversary song. <laughs> it's, it's so pretty, it's... happy anniversary, dear Helen. <laughs> it's awful. Well, it doesn't help when you have these brutal accents that are all clashing with each other. You okay, got Tanya's yeah. accent. You got Jan. You got Clay. I'm just going to save this now because we didn't really mention that at, at, at the beginning here how many damn Southerners there are on this season. Okay, when Survivor <laughs> when Survivor Thailand came out on the website, what are the poll questions they had that you could vote? You know, it was really cool to do these kind of like polls on online back then. The question that it was asked. Where will this season's sole survivor come from? From which part of from which part of the country? Here are your options. One, the South. <laughs> Two, Texas. Three, somewhere else. I yeah, shit yeah. you not. Those were your <laughs> options because I've done the math. Well, here let's let's just let's go through here and count how many Texan or Southerners. Okay, we have. This is gonna here. be good. Okay, so let's go to Chewygon for example here. Okay, John, yes, from Louisiana. Tanya from AKA Tennessee. So she's obviously from there. Okay. We have Gandia. Who's not, she's from, as we know, she's a Denver diva. We'll get there. Um, then you have, you have a Ted who's from, uh, North North Carolina. Carolina, Yeah. Greg doesn't have the accent, but we're going to count him as a Southerner there. Yeah. Okay. Then we have Helen, who's a new Englander. So she gets by here. Then we have, uh, Jan from, uh, I think she's originally from Texas and then Florida. Florida. Yeah. And then, uh, Clay, obviously. And then Brian gets off. So five of the eight Chewy members are from the South. By the way, before you continue, let me point out, Brian played college at the university of North Carolina. Okay. There you go. He kept half of Brian. (laughs) Half of Brian. Five and a half. Let's go. Let's go to the other, other, trap here we have jed from texas we have stephanie from arkansas we have rob from arizona he gets off and then we get um we have uh uh aaron from texas penny from texas jake from texas and then we have uh ken who gets off there are so many southerners on the season it's like yeah it's survivor the war of northern aggression <laughs> really that's what it should have been called <laughs> yeah five, in fact five of eight on both sides in my yeah. column that season, I, kept, I always called Thailand. I always referred to it as Survivor Texas for that very reason. It's like, yeah, it's just it's just Southern and and uh, I wouldn't say odd accents. Distinct. It's distinct accents left and right. Yeah, because you, you have all these different ones, you know, it, you know, and some people like Jed. Jed's from Dallas, but he doesn't really have, you know, what you would consider to be a, a really prominent Southern accent. But then you've got Jan from Florida who does and you've got Clay who does and you've got Stephanie who's got, you know, a, a distinct Southern accent. So you've got all these like weird Southern accents just going all around. That, yeah, and I, I could even say that if you want to look at it from sociological reasons, if you want a good explanation for why Thailand maybe never caught on as well as some of the other seasons. Like people from the West coast and the East coast tend not to like watching people from the South on TV all that much. And I know that's kind of a stereotype, but I, I've always thought that's true. That's completely true. 
Yeah, and so, like, I don't think the season resonated with a lot of people because who are you going to relate to if you're in, like, your New York or your Los Angeles or if you're in the Midwest? Like, you can relate to the porn star or you can relate to one of the Southerners, and that's really not the way that TV tends to work. Well, I mean, and we've said this in the past, too, and older, you know, older casts don't really seem to resonate that well either. So you have a bunch of old Southerners, which, you know, I, yeah. I think a lot of people had trouble really, you know, liking these people. You know, yeah. you know, old Southerners, you didn't have a lot of Los Angelinos, which which kind of, you know, help out a season that way. And your one person that was from New York was Sheehan, whom we've just already talked about, was the first Asian-American woman to be on Survivor, which as great as that is and as great as Sheehan is, that's not resonating with most of uh, the American viewers. Yeah, it's a far cry from uh, the Survivor Borneo cast. I'll just say that. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's something that I don't think really gets mentioned about Thailand much. But, yeah, it's absolutely true. It's. It was not particularly TV audience friendly, the cast. It was not TV audience friendly, but what was friendly was, uh, you know, blindfolding people and, you know, making them <laughs> carry around a frickin' pagoda on their back. I, I love that challenge, and I'll tell you why I love that challenge. There, uh, this is episode two, the reward challenge, where they're, you have to carry around, I think, the lightest person on each tribe, and it's Tanya and Penny. And It doesn't need to be light. They could choose, but they oh. chose. They I didn't they... choose Big Ted for a reason. We'll just well, say that. Exactly. Yeah, but I love that challenge because Penny Ramsey has, in in my mind, has always been one of the greater under or unknown badasses in Survivor. Like, there's a couple moments in the season where she comes out and she's just got this fierce little look on her eyes, like, don't you ever defy me. And that challenge is one of them, where she repeatedly runs people face first into poles and trees. It's okay. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. There's one scene where Jake head first into a pole or a tree i think it's like a bamboo pole i mean it's you could not get a better dead on shot between the eyes and she's like keep going he's like i hit a tree she's like no you didn't move (laughs) she had no empathy whatsoever or sympathy that jake just basically broke his nose and i just little character details like that the stuff i used to look for when i was writing my all-star stories i try to pick out little things from these characters and man when penny is focused she can be mean it's funny to watch in that challenge in particular it's it's good. You know, the challenge looked good, but again, Sukjai wins the reward, which was uh, oh, it's just uh, a fishing better fishing net, net and and, yeah. and and a lantern and stuff. But uh, you know, it, we get this we get this reward challenge, and basically the the tribe was blindfolded. They had to carry the lightest person, you know, around a almost a figure eight kind of course, uh, picking up just bags that they have to untie on poles along the way, and that's it. Just untie the bags, hit each one cross the finish line first and you know as cool as it was and we had these fun moments of people crashing into things and 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 especially you know kind of the older people crashing into things which is you know hey paul were you watching no i was i was uh <laughs> i just really was hoping like wishing jan would have been like the one carried and that way she could have like you know flown out of the pagoda thing and onto the ground that would have been awesome but it's okay i get some jan falling later on in the season so i'll be fine for now so Sukjai wins, and we've got the younger athletic tribe winning the second challenge in a row. But they just kind of win by a little bit, and you know, it's they just kind of go around the course, and Sukjai just does it a tiny bit faster. They barely beat the elderly. Good job. Way to go, guys. <laughs> Way to go. Yep. And then uh, I'm trying to think. We go back to camp at that point, and I think that's where that's the hell. That's where they get. The, yeah, that's where they get the squid. They find them all the squid on the beach, and Helen says, "Well, this is what you can do." And Clay's like, that's where Clay drops his encyclopedia quote right there. Helen knows a little bit about everything, but there ain't nothing fun in there. Yeah, and that was weird because that happened on both beaches. And, you know, something that's kind of glossed over was that, you know, that the tide's going in and out and the tide kind of went 
out and then the beach was just littered with squid and they're like holy shit squid <laughs> yeah there Sounds were just good. kitchens full of uh, of squid. On the beach. <laughs> Maybe six kitchens full of squid. Six kitchenfuls. You know, we 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 need we need to go divide the labor up. You go take those three kitchen areas over there. Okay, two kitchens per person. Go. <laughs> Although I should point out, this is you know, since Stephanie Dill was a giant major character, we're going to talk about her so much. But this was her big moment. Her, I'm about to get voted out because everyone hates me and I made myself sick. So I got to do something of value to the tribe. And that's where she starts getting that squid for everyone. And she brings all the food back. And then she's like, I got to show my worth in the challenge. So this, again, this is Stephanie's big game saving moment right here. For those of you who are following the season from the perspective of Stephanie. <laughs> I.e. Mario. Yeah, basically me and Stephanie's mom. You and <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm kind of waiting for Mario to say, well, you know, I was emailing Stephanie's mom back then. <laughs> uh, I've never spoken to Stephanie. I would I hate to say that, but we've never actually contacted each other. So we kind of get this, uh, we kind of get what Helen's uh, wedding anniversary thing where they kind of talk to her about it, and that's fine. And then we kind of just get into the uh, immunity challenge then right afterwards. It's fantastic. And this is a, uh, you know, there's pieces in the water. Dive and go get the pieces. And Yeah, the- I think this one's famous, if I recall. This is the first time in Survivor history that someone fell and Jeff made that wincing face where she like, he like goes, ooh. And it was, yes. I think this was the episode where Aaron is running on the top of that lotus flower and she like slips and falls and falls into the water face first. And it's really kind of nasty looking. And Jeff gives the most exaggerated <laughs> ooh of, of pain and hurt I've ever seen on yeah. his face. Yes, on, on the in the totally benign uh, find the lotus flower puzzle pieces and attach them to the floating lotus flower, which you know sounds so super authentic for Thailand. You know exactly. <laughs> That's not stereotypical at all. Way to go, Survivor! <laughs> and, and they do this, and then Aaron, you know, gets the uh, gets the super the super uh, uh, exaggerated wins from Jeff Probst. But uh, you know, we're 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 in whiffing distance of the attack zone, and there's no sympathy then. Oh sympathy yeah. Now. Oh, we're so close to the attack zone, I can almost taste it. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. We got it. <laughs> no. <We> got it. <laughs> no. But again, I think the, the thing is, is that, you know, we kind of look over this episode just a tiny bit, because even though we have these great personal scenes with the, with the tribe and we're learning how to win Survivor and how to bond with your tribe, we kind of have this immunity challenge that, or this reward challenge that looks good, but, you know, Soup Jai just kind of barely beats them. And then this, uh, this lotus flower, you know, Soup Jai wins, but they just win by a little bit. You know, it's 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 kind of boring in in that sense that that you know it's not super bit of competition. We're just kind of watching them go out there and get puzzle pieces, and Sukjai is just a little faster. I will point out in this challenge in particular, it's not the most exciting challenge in the world, but if you watch it, I was just watching it actually this afternoon. Listen to the music. It's like big and epic and pounding, like as the challenge ends, like bum 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 bum. I'm like. You'd think that like you're watching the World Series or like the Super Bowl or something. It's like <laughs> Survivor used to do that. They used to go so cheesy and over the top with the music and their challenges. And this one in particular, if you watch, you can really notice it. Well, because we have these lighthearted moments. Survivor is a is, is an entertainment television show, and and as you said before, there was a lot of cheesy elements in those first seasons, and then yeah, they they kind of took themselves way too seriously after some point. But we still got oh, yeah. Thailand. Yeah, Thailand, I mean, it's just a fun season. And then, of course, yeah, Chewie Gone loses again, just barely. But, I mean, again, that's two losses in a row. Two losses in a row, and Gandhi is going home, right? <laughs> of course, yeah, Gandhi. Well, <laughs> there's a great quote in there. What is it where uh, 
Gandhi has said she's going to vote for Helen because Helen doesn't handle stress well and Helen gets too anxious. I'm like, I'm sorry, ironic much? Gandhi doesn't she is, handle stress. I think specifically that when she votes for her, I think she says, I just don't think you like something about like being healthy with her emotions or something. Like... <laughs> yes. She's healthy with her emotions. And, and this is the thing is that what sets up something that's great for us, which is episode three, we are almost there, guys. But We're almost there, yeah. We're almost there. What sets up a great episode three for us is is almost like boy you really could have sent gandhi home in the first episode you could have sent her home this time and they didn't and they didn't and here we go i I do have to say there's two things about episode two that cannot be glossed over and the first one is uh helen's got the great quote in there about how she's under orders not to cry and she won't allow her emotions to ever come out uh-huh. Yeah. This is something I think a lot of people don't remember about Helen, why I think she's such an interesting character. Like she taught swimming for the Navy, and she even says in this episode the only people she works with are Navy SEALs and like Green Berets and stuff. So like her entire world is eight thousand men and her. That was all she ever did. And so she has she has a little different perspective on life and she's kind of a different personality than most women. And you'll notice it a lot in this one where she understands that the guys are assholes and pigs, but she's like, but you have to go along with that. And this, it kind of sets up why Helen does well in this season and in Survivor in general, because when the other women are, you know, bitching about the fact that there's a gender divide, Helen notices that, but she's like, it's irrelevant because it won't get me anywhere for, to argue about it, to complain about it, because this is just what she sees in life. So it's, I think she's a really interesting character because of that, because she's a woman who only works with men. Well, and it's great how she says about how I'm under orders not to cry, and it kind of gives a shot to of Gandia kind of like rolling her <laughs> eyes, like. <laughs> Which is <laughs> funny because because Helen is super emotional, and you know, it's it's fun that we're talking about Helen so much, and we're only in episode two because Helen's fantastic, and, and you know she really shines kind of later on in the season. But you're right, she's in these early seasons, she's eating up a lot of time on Chewy Gone and she's got a lot of these great moments and you know she's like I'm under orders not to cry but I mean she's like super emotional and they give her this little crown of flowers and she's like way touched by it which again is is, is something that's fun knowing that you know she it's her and 8,000 Navy SEALs yeah and before we leave episode two I gotta talk we gotta talk about Tanya a little bit since we haven't really mentioned her Tennessee go for it well do you guys know Tanya's story do you know what happened to her when she was playing Survivor I'm curious I don't think many people know this anymore Tell us about it, Grandpa Lanza. It's this, it was reported when Thailand was airing that one of the contestants, her father, died when she was playing. Mm-hmm. Right. This, this was a major. This was a major thing at the time because no one had ever had a loved one die when they were playing Survivor, and it was the scuttle was who was it? Did they have to leave the game? Did they have to come back? And it turns out it was Tanya. Her dad died in a car crash when she was filming Thailand, <clears throat> and uh, and I think it happened after she was voted out of the game, if I recall. Mm-hmm. She was voted out like on day six and it happened, but I think she had to come up. But it was like the first instance of someone's loved one passed away. They had to come back. It was basically the Jenna Maraska situation. Just she wasn't in the game at the time. But it's it's one of those things. I don't think many people remember this and it's kind of been lost over the years. But this was a a big deal at the time that, wow, what's Tanya going to be like? Is she going to talk about it? Is it going to come up in the episodes like this was? Before this, the episodes aired, everyone knew that someone that Tanya's father died, and we we're all curious how they were going to handle it in the episodes. And it's particularly sad, and I, I'm, I'm going to bring this podcast way down. It's going to get real sad here. But you watch episode two, and then in her uh, final words, Tanya says, "You know, I, I love this game so much. I'm never going to take things back home for granted. I'm never going to take my family or the things that I love back for granted anymore." And it's it's really sad if you think about that. 
And she taped those final words right before, I mean, a couple days before her, di- her dad died back home. She never got to talk to him again. So if you watch episode two with Tanya, it's a particularly sad episode if you watch it and you kind of know the backstory. And it's more significant kind of survivor history than, than people remember it being. And the whole thing where Brian kind of has a big brother relationship with Tanya, looked out for her, he's trying to nurse her back to health. She, there was a lot, there was, uh, I think there was a really interesting uh, storyline with Tanya there that never really got developed. And I will say, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of survivors over the years. I've never heard anybody ever say anything bad about Tanya. She's one of those people that almost everyone loves behind the scenes. So she's one of those, I think, never gets any shout out in the world of Survivor. And I think she should. She's, she, well, and she, she's, she's still yeah. fairly active in the Survivor community, I think. I mean, I, she I mean, is, and she's super nice. Yeah, and, she's really nice. And you see pictures of her. You know, there's so many survivors that you look back now. It's we're coming up here. It's been over ten years since Survivor Thailand, you know, filmed and actually aired. And uh, you look at pictures of her. She looks like she's like <laughs> she has not changed in the past ten years. She still looks like twenty seven year old Tanya. Yeah, and it's she wasn't even that young when it taped, if I recall. I I, I used her in my my All Star Grease story. She was one of my major characters, and. I kept writing her about her in my story like she was like 19, like she was a kid. And she reminded me one. She's like, no, I'm 28. I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. Like, she's 20, I'm looking at these pictures of her right now and like like no way that she looks like 37 or however old she is. But yeah, she's like almost 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, and she nuts. looks like she's about 20. Yeah. It's incredible. So again, I just got to give Tanya a shout out. She's kind of been forgotten in Survivor history, but she was significant for the time. And yeah, she was one of those characters, you know, she, if she hadn't gotten sick, might have been a big character. We don't know. Yeah, you know, don't get sick. That's always uh, that's always another lesson, and that's not a lesson that you can really teach. Like, okay, I promise I won't get sick with all of the bullcrap that they make us do at the beginning of the game, planes and boats and, and dropping us off on a weird island with a lot of heat and humidity and stuff like that. But still, you know, people who get sick right at the beginning, sometimes they go home, and sometimes they show it. They showed Tanya throwing up several times. In those first couple of episodes, we clearly saw that she was... Uh, you know, not not handling herself well. But sometimes people go home and you're like, man, why'd that person go home? And then you hear, oh, they were sick. And you're like, oh, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah, and in Tanya's case, they really were. I mean, I I remember in Brian Heideck's Survivor Oz interview, it came up again where, why did Tanya get voted out? And Brian basically backed up what everyone thought. Oh, she was really sick. They were, that wasn't a case that we had to, you know, get rid of a troublemaker. That was the case of we had to get this girl to a hospital and get her some medical help because she was in trouble out there. Yeah. I wonder if John was dressed up like a naughty nurse to help her. <laughs> yeah. It was like in uh, what, Varsity Blues, he came out in the whipped cream over his privates waiting for her. I think Dr. John is here. <laughs> Would you like to make a confessional? <laughs> oh, my. Yes. We, yes. We, have, we have jumped the rails now. We have successfully ruined my nice Tanya moment by jumping into illicit sex with a pastor. <laughs> we don't mean it, John. We really yes. don't. You know, but, you know, to be fair, now we can straighten up this filth we've gotten ourselves into because now it's time to talk about Ted and Gandia. Yes, this is a great segue. <laughs> this is awesome. You know, this, I'll, I'll let you lead in here to, uh, to episode three here that I have something to say before we actually get into the specifics of it. But go for it, Jay. <laughs> well... Specifics. Here it is. Episode three. I believe the title of the episode is Family Values. And I am going to just say it right now. This could be one of the best episodes that Survivor has ever put out. And I defy anyone to tell me otherwise, because everything awesome happens in this episode. Nothing is wasted. (laughs) What's funny is that you say this is one of the best episodes of Survivor. And I will totally agree with you. I just watched it today. And I'm like, man, that is some entertaining TV. That is from start to finish, one of the more entertaining and memorable episodes of Survivor. 
Yet, I have to point out at the time, people hated this episode. This was the most awkward thing people had ever seen on Survivor. And man, it just made people uncomfortable to watch. And it's it's one of those episodes that has done a complete 180 in its perception well, over the and, years. I mean, and I think, I don't know if some of it was just coming of, you know, of age now and I can look back at this and, and I don't know, just look at it a little bit differently. But I remember having that feeling too. I remember, you know, in my first early rewatches, you know, right after it aired, hating episode three and hating the whole Ted and Gandhi thing and just like, you know, was not a fan at all. And on this recent rewatch, I mean, it just really is a, it's an excellently like edited episode. It's so great how they can stretch out this God, this Gandia and, and Ted thing over the entire episode. And we kind of go, we go back and forth to Sukja and we have some great moments at, of at Sukja that are mixed in. We have this awesome challenge. And, uh, you know, at the end of the episode, it really isn't even about, you know, Jed getting voted off. We have much more important, <laughs> you know, that's kind of an afterthought. What happens yeah. here? But it's just so great how how it just is kind of like this like set around like six part story or something that kind of unfolds and it's just it's wonderful how they do the storytelling of it. It's and you one- have to you don't forget that mixed in there is the unintentional comedy of the Red Berets at Chewy Gone Camp right. the entire time uh-huh. trying to help them. <laughs> the Red Berets, the whole Ted and Ganya thing, and the attack zone. Like this episode has got everything and jed goes home so you know (laughs) this i mean this episode was almost why the funny 115 was invented (laughs) it's episodes like this there's almost like i think five or six entries from this episode alone in the funny 115 or something like that it's crazy and then like you said i didn't even have to brainstorm to remember that jed went home in this episode like there's so many other things going on that jed is just like an afterthought no it's it's a killer episode but you're right It, it wasn't perceived very well at the time because i feel like Again, people are taking Survivor very seriously. It's part of the whole Survivor malaise. But I think people are really trying to, like, you know, analyze this game and break it apart. And so, you know, sometimes I hate the cliche. It's the journey, not the destination. But a lot of times I feel in Survivor, people are really kind of just trying to look for the winner or look for or things going on. And, And this Ted and Gandia thing really is kind of irrelevant in 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 a lot of ways. I mean, you know, it does kind of shape up the way people are perceived on Chewy Gone. But I mean, at the end of the day, Gandhi is going to go home in a little bit, and you know, it kind of gets dropped and 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 kind of swept under the rug at that point. So I mean, as far as like strategy or something along those ways, it's not there. But if you just take the episode as a standalone, just this episode of Ted and Gandia and the accusations and and everything that goes on, this episode's fantastic. It's just a great hour of television. Yeah, and it's like it's almost like sociology this one. There's there's stuff happening in this episode that doesn't happen in other survivor episodes. And again, some would argue that's a good thing. Like rape is very serious and like no one was raped. There's no rape in this episode. There's there's some inappropriate contact between people who had crushes on each other. It went out of hand and then it basically became a game of telephone. And Gandhi even admits, well, I probably used it a little to try to gain my position in the game. It's just there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this episode that I think, yeah, people took a little too seriously at the time. Oh, look at what Survivor has fallen to. Look at this horrible state of the show. I'm like, there's, it's just interesting. This is an interesting episode because there's no other episode that has ever been like it. Yeah, it has nothing to do – I mean the, the Ten Gandia issue really has nothing to do with Survivor. Like Jay was saying, it's really irrelevant to the whole game. It's more about – uh, what's happening between these two people, you know, not what's yeah. happening on Survivor. Um, yeah, it, yeah. We need to break this down, but again, at the end, this is also just kind of a study in, in just emotions and how we deal with it. Because, yes, you're right, there was no actual rape that went along. There was inappropriate touching, and, and the 
the severity of it is in question, you know, and, and I think that you ha- no matter whose side you're on or, or what your opinion of the, of the matter is, and we'll kind of talk about that now, but, you know, Ted's not coming out of this smelling like a rose and Gandhi no. is not coming out of this, uh, you know, looking all that great either. But, you know, Ted, Ted did something he probably shouldn't have done. We can all, you know, probably say that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's everyone's reactions to it and how they handle it. It's yeah. just fantastic to watch. And everyone handles it completely differently. That's the funny thing. Yep. They're all completely distinct reactions. Distinct, distinct, distinct. So, That's right. To- and all because of sexy biting. <laughs> love you know that kind of sexy biting and then i love when she says that helen's like mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. no one knows <laughs> helen's been sex she's been sexy bit before <laughs> <laughs> more like sexy stabbing with knives and guns shooting him <laughs> shooting me <laughs> all right jay so lead us through i you know we're trying not to make our audience uncomfortable so jay lead us in a discussion about date rape let's do it so <laughs> When a man kind of likes a woman and takes her out on a date, he may bring something called a roofie, boys and girls. <laughs> oh, wait, that's something totally different. So uh, we get it. We wake up at Chewygon, and Gandhi basically says, uh, something happened last night that I'm not with. I think Paul could probably do the impersonation better than I could. Well, I'm trying to think how I can open up there. She's just talking very slowly, and I'm trying to think of the direct word she says here. You know, she kind of gives the blow-by-blow, and then... Um, she says, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Sorry, I'm letting you guys down like, on this one. There's a lot of Gaudi I can do in this one, but there's so many. Uh, sexually or yeah. something. And then it, oh yeah, then it really started to become really kind of sexual. Yeah, that's yeah. it. She's kind of squirming as she says yeah, it. And you right. can tell, like, it's like, ugh. ugh. Yeah. Right. Paul, I'm uncomfortable with you using the phrase, there's a lot of Gandhi I can do. <laughs> Well, there is, and you know, and the, and the, the thing starts out with this, and it's you know, it's there's really nothing that that funny about it. I mean, it starts off as like, oh God, you know, what, what's happening here, and uh, and she, you know, she has this whole thing that happens, and then right away, you know, we we see her talk to Ted about this. She talks with Ted, you know, it, this this is this is rational human being thing. Gandhi, we get this interview where Gandhi is like, I woke up and I realized in the middle of the night that you know, Ted. Had, you know, we were sleeping. We, 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 you know, we, we bonded with each other. We were sleeping close to each other. We were snuggling up at night, and that was all kind of cool. And then he did some things that were inappropriate. And I don't think I liked it. And then, you know, she woke up. She didn't like it, and she's talking with Ted about it. And Ted's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "You know, I gotta tell you, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in my right mind." In the middle of the night, I'm super tired. I'm thinking I'm sleeping with my wife, and you know, if I have done anything uh, that made you feel bad. You know, I apologize from the bottom of my heart. And she's like, I feel used. I feel like trash. And he's like, no, 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 don't. It's not about that. It's Hold not on, Jay. A trashy piece of trash. A trashy piece of trash. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, and this, this, but as the scene is going, you know, I mean, whether or not you really, you know, believe what Ted is saying or, you know, whether that's a, you know, a, an excuse that's valid or whatnot. I mean, you have to hand it to Ted for actually the way, you know, Gandhi approaches this. She says exactly what he did that made her feel uncomfortable. He takes 100% responsibility right off the bat and says, you know, I, I, I completely apologize and this is why it happened and, you know, I blah, blah, blah. And then you think, okay, well, that was handled in a very mature adult manner 
adult manner. And Gandia seems to, you know, she accepts right. this apology. And this is the thing is that like yeah, they leave. They, they leave, leave the yeah they leave the situation both happy. They leave the situation both happy. You know Ted's line is kind of weird where you know he's just saying, "Well, I'm thinking you're my wife," and it's like, "Well, I may or may not believe you there, Ted." But then yeah. he says, you know, "Whatever I've done, I apologize. Uh-huh. Please don't feel bad. You know, it's not about you. It's about me. I I totally apologize." And she's crying. And she's like, "Thank you so much. That was great. I feel better." It, it, it all seems like you know this is totally just going to be dropped, uh-huh. and it dropped right. Right. Well, one thing I got to point out before we go to the next step, one thing that always strikes me when I watch this scene is we never see the actual footage of like them grinding or like them cuddling up or anything or her getting upset. It's very much like the Jervis cow joke in Borneo. Everyone just talks about it afterwards. Oh, this is what happened. And it's one of those odd situations. Like, no one actually knows what happened because we don't see it. It's one of the few times in Survivor between like the Jervis cow joke, the grinding thing, and the maybe beans, Mike in the fire. Beans. Yeah, and yeah, and the beans. It's just the the camera. CBS kind of dropped the ball on catching something that was somewhat significant to an episode. Which 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 means one of I guess one of three things. One is nothing really happened, and you know it was all very very minor, or something mm-hmm. did happen, and they're not going to show it on television. Yeah, or it was just kind of I probably you know what what Gandhi is kind of describing happened happened, but it wasn't you know there was there was too much put- there was too much sexy biting for primetime TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it, it's a it's a real problem here, and I got to point out that this this subplot of this episode was not a surprise. CBS had hyped this all week. Like, oh, yeah. one of the most uncomfortable things and something shocking in Survivor. Like, you'll be talking about it for days. This will be the episode everyone will be taught. So, or ten years hi- in our case. Yeah, exactly. But and it, it's a uh, yeah, and, and and it's a problem for CBS because Ted gets very far in the season. He's a major character, and if you look at kind of the way Survivor is edited, you know, Brian backstabs his friends at the end. Ted should be one of the heroes of the season. The guy that gets backstabbed at the end should be a sympathetic character. And it's really tough from an editing or storytelling point of view with this situation to a character who's going to end up in that position, your final five guy. Yeah. You can't portray him as a sympathetic hero after this. It's really tricky. And for years, CBS and probes have tried to distance themselves from Thailand. It's like they just didn't like a lot of the stuff that happened with it. And this has got to be one of the things. It's got to be. Yeah, that a porn star won, and they didn't even know he was a porn star at the time. CBS did not know that. That's it's just there's too little. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in Thailand that CBS couldn't control, and they could not have been happy about the porn star winning and the whole Ted and Gandhi thing, which is funny because it is that kind of in one mouth or out one mouth and out the other side of the mouth where you know they hyped it all week, and even you know when we get to Survivor All Stars, even though they neglect to bring back either neither Ted nor Gandia to anything in the future, which is fine. That's their decision. He's final five guy, and Gandia goes out pre-merge. I'm not sitting here uh, upset about that thing, but you know when they're showing clips of you know notable Survivor moments from the past, they go to Thailand. What's the clip they show? They show Ted and Gandia freaking fighting. <laughs> I think it it even makes the tree mail in All Stars when they have a uh, when they have the booklet saying that they're going to be quizzed about um, past seasons <laughs> and it says Gandia screamed you're way too close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, kind, of, kind of like kind of made up that quote too, but okay, yeah, it's paraphrasing. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it. I would have yeah, been like stop, stop 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 sexy biting me. <laughs> It would maybe so, I don't know if they would have had to work with the rhyme more, but something like could have rhymed with like like Ted sexy bit Gandia. I guess maybe nothing rhymes with Gandia. <laughs> it's like it's orange be, that way. 
Yeah. Was it in that, that trivia challenge in Fans versus Favorites? Like the one that the people had to answer you the knowledge of past seasons? Like, which part of his body did Ted grind up too close to Gandhi? <laughs> the sexy part. <laughs> So, so, yeah, so, so it all should have been over. The Ted apologizes. Gandhi's like, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And that should have been the end of the scene. And of course, they would have never have shown it on TV if that had been the end of the scene because it wasn't the end of the scene. No. But we're going to continue it. But before we continue it, let's interlude with a reward challenge, possibly the greatest award challenge of all time. The attack zone, ladies and, and gentlemen. This is like, and it's such a setup for when this aired, it was like, holy shit, they're doing this on Survivor. Like, you can, like, I mean, and you can see it, even a lot of it is it's way tamer than it is now. Like, you had to be in this specific attack zone, which brings up a whole another, you know, boat uh, of issues here. But, I mean, it's the first time we get full on contact on Survivor, which now is a staple of any good Survivor season. You have at least one challenge where people beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, yeah. now they have a challenge, and it's like, well, basically, there's a circle, and you're all in it. Yeah, everybody go in there, and when one person that can still stand up, then the challenge is over. And they have challenges like this, and back then we didn't have that context. No, nothing. And yeah, so it was... this is the first, and he's like, "There's going to be an attack zone," and you know they're highlighting it on the screen like this black part in the middle. You can, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the other person by. You're like, do whatever. Oh, holy shit! <laughs> I thought we just had an attack zone with Ted and Gandia. <laughs> Yeah, kind of ironic. Whole, it's the same episode. This episode's called Family Values. It should just be attack zones. Uh, <laughs> plural. Sexy biting. <laughs> yeah, I I've loved I've I love the attack zone challenge the first night it was on TV. I've loved it every time since. It's one of my all-time favorite challenges because it's just hilarious with the younger, more aggressive Sukjais, you know, beating the shit out of the old people. And then just their bloodlust gets a little out of hand. And then just disqualified one after another. Bam, 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 bam. Which the apex, of course, is Stephanie being disqualified for pulling somebody out while she's in the water. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. So (laughs) those who've never seen this before, they're on two separate boats. And they're basically they have to kind of navigate along kind of like the skinny bamboo balance beam kind of deals. They kind of fork around and they have to get to some boats on the opposite side. And they've got like baskets and shit in them. And basically they need to navigate this course, grab an item and bring it back to their boat. But all of the bamboo things kind of go toward one you know, thicker bamboo strip in the middle. And in the middle of that strip, there is a black zone, which Jeff is calling the attack zone. And if two opposite people kind of from different tribes kind of find themselves on this uh, skinny piece, they can contact each other in the attack zone and basically push one in the water. And if you're in the water, you have to go back to the start with all of these challenges. Now, what's unclear is grinding and or sexy biting allowed in this attack zone. (laughs) Uh, That was not explained. If it's in the attack zone, I mean, all bets are off. All bets are off, but you got to be in the attack zone, Paul. Okay, as long as you're in the attack zone and you're sexy biting, then I guess it would be okay. Yes. And also, you have to be attracted to them. <laughs> oh my God, we're gonna get there. This is gonna be fantastic. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 challenge goes, and we we're getting not a whole ton of uh, attack zone stuff. And Soup Jai is winning this challenge. We do get kind of a fun thing at the beginning where Ted is in the attack zone of all people. But you know, this is less about Ted and sexy biting and more the fact that he's Big Ted, ex football player, and poor Sheehan is on the other end. And yeah. Like, Rob is like, just push him out of the. Yeah. <laughs> just knock him over. 
just knock him over and she, she just looks over and like dude what am i supposed to do and rob's like i'm an asian female he's 400 pounds and rob's like just push him and she like goes and he like pushes her in the water and then like rob's like disgusted that she did not best ted yeah, in the shocker <laughs> you could rob is just over. such a douche i mean we'll talk about rob's reaction afterwards and what he does in the attacks him but i mean just he's making, making flipping off the people or jeff or i don't know who he's flipping off from the from the boat and they have to blur him out all the time and just being such a doorknob <laughs> so is the first person out is it is ken the first out yeah it's it's yeah. is kicking the shit out of him yeah because they're obviously tougher and stronger and then ken he knocks somebody off i think it's helen, helen yeah ken, and then he gets in trouble is it is it Brian? I forget. I think no. I think uh, Ken knocks off Brian, right? And then he gets him busted for knocking off Helen while he's right. not in the attacks. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Ken knocks off. He knocks off. Yeah, Brian. And then and then he he's not. He doesn't have a foot in the attack zone. He just pushes someone into the water. It's not. It's not very uh, violent or anything like that. He pushes someone in the water. But Jeff says, "Well, you didn't have a foot in the attack zone." So he kicks Ken out of the challenge. Not only that, but Suigong gets one of Sukjai's points. Right. So Sukjai has got you know points ahead. They're like on eight or nine of ten. And yeah. he takes he takes one of their items and puts it into Chewigon's boat and says, All right, now the gap is closed a little bit. And then Rob goes next, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rob now, decides and it was not it, only it was, it was it was pretty tame, right? <laughs> <laughs> not only is Rob not in the attack zone, he chooses his method of attack to grab Clay by the throat and toss him headfirst into the water. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, this is Rob Zabachnik, our 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 huge tattooed muscular surfer dude who's calling people bro and you know swinging around and all of this sort of stuff and you've got clay our hobbit from bag end <laughs> and, and clay clay makes the greatest noise in the world when rob grabs it <laughs> <laughs> so rob goes up and he's 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 about two feet away from the attack zone he takes clay and he literally grabs him around the neck which was he trying to do that i don't know i mean the fact that clay reaches like mid chest on rob maybe one thing but rob just kind of sw- swings out grabs him by the neck and clay makes the greatest most horrible sound on planet earth yeah. <laughs> and then, like, it reminds me of- I was Go gonna ahead. say my favorite part about it is then Rob like like slips his foot into the attack zone and points to it. Yeah. Oh, here it is! Here it is! And then you get yeah. some great commentary from Gandhi on the boat. You have to be in there too. <laughs> I love the the noise that Clay makes is so exaggerated. It reminds me of like a soccer player flinging himself to the ground to draw a card. He was diving because like, Clay Rob just barely is touching Clay's neck. And Clay's like, ah, ah, ah. he's just. <laughs> And what I love about Propes is that over the years, Propes has kind of gotten bigger for his britches, and he's all about, you know, describing the immunity challenges and reward challenges. And he's not doing that so much now. He's just kind of, oh, Sukjai's got nine and, and, and all this sort of stuff. But then, you know, he's so calm about it. He's just like, no, no, Rob, you weren't in the attack zone. When you grabbed also, him by the throat. When you grabbed him by the throat. One point goes to, goes to Chewy Gun. He's just like so matter of fact about it. Like, you're out of this challenge. No, you weren't. Uh, Rob, you weren't in the attack zone. <laughs> I love how you pointed out that Rob quickly puts one toe into the attack zone and like, points well, to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you imagine Rob takes a knife, stabs Clay 35 times, throws him in the water, starts feasting on his corpse, and then says, oh, my toe was in the attack zone, and sticks it in there. Look, I was, it was okay. It's all good. It's all good, bro. So we get Rob, who, you know, that's the most famous one, was when Rob chokes Clay and throws him in the water. So yeah. then Rob's out, a point goes to, to Chewy Gun, and then Stephanie gets bested in the attack zone, and as she's thrown into the water, she reaches around and pulls the other person in the water. I think it's Brian, right? Is it Heidek? 
think it's Ted. Oh, it's right? Ted. Yeah. So Ted knocks her over. So yeah, Stephanie decides she's going to try to pull Ted in while she's in the not only not in the attack zone, but not on the course altogether. Not on the course altogether. So then Jeff, of course, you know, being super, uh, <clears throat> super emotional, is like, "No, Stephanie, you weren't in the attack zone." Yeah, you- come on, guys. Come on, guys. I'm like a broken record. Yeah. And then that culminated. Everyone remembers that one. But then Jed comes Best. flying out of nowhere with a neck tackle. Jed comes like flying in there like he's, he's <laughs> like they even slow mo it. Like he kind of like runs in like <laughs> he like does a flying like Tito Santana like forearm <laughs> into the guy. <laughs> and They go in the water and Jeff's like, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. This is fantastic. Yeah. Hermie, no. And which it's, nope. it's towards the end of this challenge, but it's one thing that I don't think I noticed right away. But now watching, it, I can't not notice it. Is is the a noise that Gandia makes? You know what I'm talking about here? The 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 yeah. She barks. Yes, the barking. Yeah, she barks. I don't know what this as as the camera what what happens right before or right after. But we get in there, Gandia going. She's sexy barking. Sexy barking. She's taunting Sukjai because, you know, they've bested them by collecting less baskets and having all of Sukjai eliminated from the challenge. Chewy Gun wins by effectively not doing anything. They didn't do anything. So the only person <laughs> left on Sukjai is like Penny and like Shian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. You watch this. I mean, everyone loves to laugh at this challenge because it's so comical. But like Sukjai was winning the season. They were going to win. And if you pay attention, like, they are never really in control of Survivor after this again. No. It's it's kind of the attack zone's the turning point. This is the turning point, and it's hilarious, because we've talked about the challenges up to this point, about how, you know, Chewygon was winning that first immunity challenge, and they blew it. And then in the second uh, episode, uh, Sukjai won outright the reward and immunity challenge, but it was just kind of close. You know, they just mm-hmm. were barely more. And, I mean, they were just dominating this challenge, and then they all got eliminated by not doing attack zone pro- <laughs> And which is funny because it's very fitting because they soon become self-eliminated from the game as well. <laughs> yeah, just, just floating on themselves. But yeah, but people don't remember that Chewygon had never won a challenge up to this point. So the fact that they won one, and it was by default more than anything, because Sukjai just kept getting disqualified, including a, the flying tackle, which I always love, which comes out of nowhere. Jed flying tackling, like, <clears throat> that's fantastic stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, Gandia was was taunting, and then... As they win, they're all celebrating, and, you know, Gandia is hugging and kissing Ted. Of course. Yeah, they're right back into the action. But, yeah, Diana, and then Chewygon wins the Red Berets, who, oh, we're going to tell you how to thrive out here and find food and survive in this game, which is a not an insignificant reward. No, well, this, this Rob is... Rob doesn't think so, though. He would have just rather had a big turkey. <laughs> big turkey, yeah. I just, I was watching this episode today, and I was laughing at that quote, like, I don't want the Red Berets. I would have rather had a big turkey. <laughs> But I had a big turkey, and then, you know, we do get a brief moment before we get back to Chewygon and back more to Ted and Gandia. We do get the uh, the now famous by Funny 115 standards quote where we get back from the challenge, and Rob was like, nah, dude, we, we may have lost, you know, but, <laughs> but, but we didn't get beat by them. We, you know, we lost yeah. to a bunch of rules today, dude. <laughs> we didn't get beat by somebody better than us. We lost by a bunch of rules. <laughs> which which if, you, if you look at it is every sport and every competition ever <laughs> just lost by some rules and i love that he uh you know why you know why it's okay because i got a shot on what is it um something from the backwoods Home. what is it homeboy yeah i got a Home. shot on homeboy from the backwoods and big teddy wasn't so big 
That's what yeah. I'm saying. That's that's the so random one at the end. He's like, and that big Teddy wasn't so big. <laughs> and at no point did they knock Ted off, so I'm not sure what his criteria was. Well, for Stephanie calling did. Ted oh, off. wait, she was in the water. <laughs> yeah, she was in the water. Beat again by rules. <laughs> and again, him falling in the water does not disprove the fact that he is still a large man, so I do not get his logic. Rob Zabachnik was just fantastic with his energy and his confessionals, but you know, he had a speech pattern to him, not just the bros and the dudes and the, and the, and the things like that, which we, which we love Rob for, but he had this thing where he would say something. And a lot of times he'd say something pretty insightful or, or whatever he's saying. And then he kind of pause and like shake his head a little bit. And then he'd just kind of say a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. More than he had to more than he had to. You know, he's just like, no man, just with today, it, it wasn't all that great. Weak little whiny backwoods hick. Do you hear it? <laughs> Screaming at me, dude. I want to spit in his face. <laughs> spit in his face. It is ah, yes. fantastic. So, yes, Rob Zabachnik tells it. And Sheehan, of course, gets the parting word, which, is, which if you're not noticing by now, if you're not noticing, Sheehan, you know, yeah, you know, she, she's abrasive at times. But if you're noticing the editing and how the editors are using Sheehan uh, – uh, with her confessionals, everything Sheanne is saying is usually pointed out to be pretty true. And she's kind of pointing out Sukjai's faults and flaws over there. And, you know, she really lets Rob have it. She's like, he's carrying on. He's such a baby. So we get the <laughs> We love it. But then, of course, we get the Red Berets back. And the Red Berets are causing all sorts of trouble, right? Oh, no. It yeah, yeah, they're sexy biting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the Red Berets, you know, they teach the people, the Chewy Gons about island living so much that Gandhi suddenly remembers that Ted was actually much nastier to her than she recalled. Yeah. <laughs> because of the Red Berets, now I remember that his apology was disingenuous. Oh, but even before the, we get we get the Red Berets, and I do like the confessional from Helen, and it, you know Helen is really starting to come out, you know, because because Helen had the great speech, the gallon jug, and all this sort of stuff, but now we're kind of getting motor mouth Helen. You know, running through things. You know, she's just like those red berets. They could make anything out of a machete. They get the thing that and bamboo like. Oh, they made this one thing here. Yeah, and Helen. <laughs> so much to say about Helen. She's just. A, it's funny to listen to her speak because she has. She has about four different speaking personalities. Oh, Helen's fantastic. So then, you know, the red berets are teaching them. They're like, no, all this shit around here, you can eat it. So they're trying to figure <laughs> out how to do all this stuff. And the red berets are making stuff for them, making plates, dishes, silverware, transistor radio, just basically setting them up like Gilligan's Island. And then Gandhi thinks, you know what? I don't accept Ted's apology. <laughs> yeah. Eight hours later, now I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. So when she goes to Helen, to Helen and she's like, she goes to here's, what Ted, yeah, here's what Ted did last night. So she... Tells the whole story, and then she's like, everything I told Helen was basically true. I just kind of left out the part that Ted apologized for it. <laughs> so so Helen, Helen just gets the version of the story that Ted basically date-raped her and did nothing about it, <laughs> which is not entirely what we saw. So, so yeah, Gandhi is like, Ted basically just, you know, impregnated me out here. Well, And there's <laughs> yeah. a line in there that I didn't get even until this last time where she says something about, um, she said, like, why she says the part about the baby and you just had a and your wife just had a baby baby uh, like a, a freaking week ago and then and then she says something about and you're gonna and you're gonna grind your uh, your ass all up on me or something about that something about putting his ass up on her. Wow, that's the incorrect way of grinding. <laughs> <laughs> Ted needs a physics lesson. Improper grinding. <laughs> yeah, Yao Man should come out and teach uh, Big Ted how to grind. <laughs> No, Ted, your ass was not in the attack zone. (laughs) (laughs) 
so then in Helen's got the whole thing where Helen's like, I believe Gandhi's story, you know, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So then Helen, of course, talks to Brian because Gandhi is just like Ted inappropriately touched me. And uh, I'm not going to tell you about how we had a talk and he apologized. Um, we need to vote Ted out. So then Helen goes to Brian about this and she's like, also, Ted may have killed and or raped Gandhi. I forget which one it was. <laughs> yeah, this is funny. it's just a big game of telephone at this point where it's everyone like, just repeats the version that they've heard. Re- repeat the version. So then Brian goes to Ted and is like, man, that Gandhi, she said some story about how like you, you know, brought back Adolf Hitler from the dead and <laughs> used it to I, I don't know. It was bad, whatever it was. And Ted's like. No man, nothing. <laughs> no, it's, it's he all says good. It's like no. a long story, but uh, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a long and, story, but nothing happened. So then Brian goes back to to Helen or whatever and says, "Yeah, Ted's like, yeah, no, it's nothing. Nothing happened." Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love. He's told it was a long story, but in the end, nothing happened. So Brian neglects to hear the first part of that and just hears the nothing happened. Yeah, so, he goes so to that's, his, that's his interview. Is like when Ted said nothing happened, which is the truth. Nothing happened, and you know that's yeah. like the one moment I think I uh, I've had kind of this you know the same reaction to to probably about three or four people, all of which all all four females who watched this you know season. And Brian's kind of like of these kind of men on the season. He's someone that you kind of maybe are gonna like in the beginning. It's when he mm-hmm. starts saying stuff like that. They're like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, like how can <laughs> I like this guy now? If that's the first, his first assumption is, oh well, he he, he said nothing happened. Nothing happened. It's yeah. fine. And again, I have to. It's Brian. You know, shouldn't really defend Brian much because he's kind of a sleazy guy. But like, he doesn't have the full story, so it's not his fault. He's just telling what he thinks happened. He's giving his interpretation of a secondhand telling. No, this is a second and third hand thing, and it's all about who you trust. And we do see from a couple episodes in the future that Brian and Ted. Uh, trust each other and have a bond so ted's like nothing happened so you know Mm -hmm. brian is hearing this from helen and you know brian respects helen and you know is listening to what helen has to say at least i guess i don't know about you know he's like helen is a human being but you know he he's hearing what she has to say but i think he's you know he he's closer to ted's ted's like nothing happened so brian's like all right ted says it i'm gonna believe it you know yeah and again, in his defense, Brian probably thinks it's something insignificant. He's like, all right, we're playing Survivor. I got a lot of in my mind here. Let's just get past this whatever nonsense. So that's how he's kind of approaching it. He, like, this, isn't, this isn't important. Right. And so he kind of goes back to Helen's like, it's not important. It's fine. Nothing happened. So then yeah. Helen, of course, goes to Ghana again. And there's a line in here, which, again, we keep talking about telephone. But if you don't believe us, I think, I think Helen says the line like, you know, uh, he denies everything. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, he denies everything. But then she's like. I told or Brian told me what Ted told Brian and I told Gandia that, you know, and, and like she he, she literally is like doing this chain link outline. Helen just loves to, you know, throw some fuel to fire here. And uh, Gandia's like, oh, never happened. And Helen goes, nope, never happened. Must have been a must be Your imagination. imagination. <laughs> yeah. So like Ted told Brian it's a long story, but, you know, it's nothing mm-hmm. to. Ted denies everything. <laughs> yeah. Ted says you're a liar. You're a huge liar, and he's not attracted to you. <laughs> and so Gandhi, of course. So, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, it gets over to Ted that Gandhi is still pissed. And Ted's like, ah, it's nothing because I think he thinks that they squashed it. And then it gets back to Gandhi from Helen, and Helen's basically like, Ted thinks that you're on drugs and you imagined everything. And then Gandhi, of course, handles this well. Yeah, because Gandhi, you know, she does not trust people who don't handle their emotions well or are not calm and level-headed. So she she shows her calm and level-headedness by going out and karate chopping a tree and having a temper tantrum. 
Yeah, I know that that's 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 totally appropriate, right? Of course, Clay's two-year-old ones do that. Did that, uh, and, that <laughs> and again, people. Clay Jordan is freaking phenomenal. That's the thing. It's like she all because because she she goes over there, she screams really loud, and then she starts cropping, karate chopping. You get this great camera pan where like she's screaming, and then like you see people working or working with the yeah. red berets, and they look up there like, and Clay's like, "What was that?" Yeah, and, you know, the, the red berets are all confused. Yeah, and Clay's like, "Oh, don't worry about that. Just a crazy lady." Yeah, he's like just he like kind of tries to talk, and then realizes he, he can't like he's like crazy lady. And, and then you know, that quote that he has about God going down is and he's talking about his kid. Not only is he talking about how he's whooping the kid's ass, he also refers to the kid as it. I whooped yeah. its ass and put it back yeah. in bed, which, you know, and, and I'll, I didn't I haven't really brought it before, which I think that there are some legitimate reasons why a lot of people don't love Thailand. And if you're someone who really kind of focuses on how this game ends up and you have people like Brian and Clay are your two finalists, you know, I can look at the season. I can kind of, you know, separate the person from the person we're seeing on Survivor and I can appreciate the humor that Clay brings to the show. But I mean, if, if it's hard for you to do that, then I can see how it can be very disappointing that someone like Clay Jordan makes the final two because he is an ass. Like he's talking yeah. about whooping his kid's ass. Like if you're you're really driven on like you know you want to connect with this person i'm not going to connect with this potentially racist <laughs> child beating you know guy like he's awful as a person yeah paul makes a good point this is something that people ask me a lot they always think oh clay clay's hilarious what was the reaction to clay at the time oh I'm like, god <laughs> nobody liked clay he's maybe the most the most hated player in survivor history behind jerry at that point i mean people just looked at him from being from the south from being kind of sexist from being kind of you know old school talking about beating his kid like the fact that people like him now is amazing or think even think they maybe not like him but they find him entertaining as a character because they did not find him entertaining back then and that that one in particular i remember that scene all the people on like survivor sucks and other message boards saying clay beats his child he's a child molester like this is a horrible show we have people raping gandia we have child molesters why should we be watching the show and yeah clay was not well liked and that quote right there is a big one Big one of the reasons why. Well, we're two hours into this episode, and I figure like this is a, this is a good way to uh, to talk about it now. But I think that one of the reasons why you know we've done a 180 on Clay, and just why I, I urge people to rewatch Thailand is uh, I would present the argument that I feel like Thailand is kind of a season that was way ahead of its time. And yeah. one one of the reasons is is because of Brian Heideck and because of just the masterful way he played the game. And the reason is is because people hated Clay because Clay made it to the final two, and he was one of the final people that could win a million bucks. And yeah, Richard Hatch went to the end with Kelly, and Kelly was not a great person to go to the end with. But you had Colby and Tina, which we talked about was just like this incredible final two, duking it out in Australia. And then you had Ethan and Kim Johnson, and it's not like Ethan took Kim Johnson. She won immunities and got herself there because it was a Lex Tom Ethan kind of bond. And then you had Vesepio with with Nalia, and that's just how it ended up. The concept of like taking an unlikable person and bringing them to the end with you, which is what everybody tries to do on Survivor today, was not a concept really much back then. And so people didn't look at it that way. They looked at like how the shit is Clay in the final two. He's He's short, he's old, he's sexist, he's just a horrible human being. Why is he in the final two? And, you know, you, you look at it now, and you're like, well, precisely. That's exactly why he's in the yeah. final two. But that's not how we saw it back then. We were like, what the hell is Clay doing here? 
Yeah, that was the thing. I I used clay in my second all-star story, in my Alaska story. And man, was that unpopular. Every day I'd get emails from people, just vote clay out. And I'm like, well, it's not realistic to vote him out because you want him around. They're like, I hate him. Vote him out. Like they wanted me to manipulate the story just to get rid of him because they don't like seeing him in the, in the story. And I'm like, well, that's not realistic. That's not the way that real life or survivor works. And a lot of the audience just didn't get that back then. They thought that if you were unlikable, you should be voted out ASAP, like on the spot right there. And yeah, Brian was kind of ahead of the game and like saying, well, if nobody likes him, he would be excellent to bring around. So yeah, that's one of the reasons I think that Survivor Thailand kind of had an odd reputation at the time with its audience that, yeah, Clay is there and he's being dragged to the end. And it's not for your entertainment. It's for Brian's entertainment. And I think that a lot of people didn't really kind of recognize that yet. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a reason why Thailand takes a hit. But, you know, nowadays that's perfectly acceptable. And in fact, that's a fantastic way to play the game. And, oh. and and that's how Brian did it, and that's just how it goes. So and Clay's just such a fun character. I, I I don't see how you could take him seriously and hate him. Like he's so over the top and ridiculously entertaining. Like he makes me laugh every time he talks. And I I I just don't get the kind of anger in your life where you can hate a character that much that makes you laugh. I mean, I get okay. Admittedly, what he says isn't always funny, but maybe you're laughing at him too. Who knows? I don't know. He's just. He's fun to watch. He makes every scene a little bit more entertaining because he's just kind of a wild card. You don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. My two-year-old did that. I whipped its ass and whipped its, its ass. ass. That's right. So, And then this, of course, leads us right into the great confrontation where everything's blowing up. Everyone's saying Ted said this, Gandhi said this. So they have to have their big confrontation. All We're going to gather the whole tribe. Everybody come over here. We're going to straighten this out once and for all. And that went well, right? <laughs> It went over great. You know, Ted explained in perfect logic on a sliding scale that he was much more satisfied with his wife at home. Yeah, no, and and you haven't mentioned this at all, have you? No. One of my all-time favorite quotes, and I, I have to admit, this is funny. This is my wife that first really found this funny. I didn't find this whole scene all that funny back in the day, but my wife always thought it was the funniest thing. She's like, why is Ted using a scale? Why is he saying 150 to 200 percent? That's so stupid. It didn't really catch on with me that it was that ridiculous. So I have to give my wife, Diana, credit for that one. She totally pointed that out to me. And then I kind of wrote an entry about it on the Funny 115, and it just kind of took off. And nowadays, it's one of these catchphrases you hear everyone talking about, 150 to 200 percent satisfied. It's like... Like just the the ridiculousness of Ted's thought process. You have to. This is one of those you kind of have to think about for a second. Like, you know, one hundred fifty to two hundred percent. Yeah. What if it's one seventy versus one eighty? How can you tell? Ted? Why is there a sliding scale? Well, you know what the quote that we really need to make sure people start you know quoting a lot now is a uh, butt crack showing every damn day. <laughs> yeah, this is something I've watched this episode so many times, and it wasn't until this afternoon that I really caught this really hilarious quote where. Gandhi is having her temper tantrum down at the beach. He's talking about Ted and how he's a liar and how he's, you know, telling everyone stuff that's not true. And she's throwing rocks in the ocean. And if you listen to what she's saying, she's airing her grievances against Ted. And one of them, she says, this is, I swear to God, you got to listen to this to appreciate it, where she says, butt crack showing every damn day. So one of her grievances with Ted is that he wears his shorts too low and that you can always see his butt crack. And this is so high on her list of grievances. She feels the name, the, the need to name it during her race. It's, just, it's said with this interlude as she's like throwing these rocks, butt crack rock, throwing every rock damn day rock. Yes. Oh, you know, it kills me. There's not a funny 115 just about that quote. I didn't even catch it. I, if I would have caught it like six years ago. But that... Man, that is a funny little quote. Like, 
the where do you think the butt crack is is on the high list of grievances at the moment? Yet yeah, she feels the need to comment on it. Why is Gandhi not on fans versus favorites too? I mean, seriously. You <laughs> don't know. Uh, well, and and the killer <clears throat> quote is, you know, Mario has popularized with funny115.com the uh I am 150 to 200 percent satisfied with the wife I have now, which is a fantastic quote and it's funny. But the killer quote, the one that just gets it, is they're talking about this thing and Gandhi is, you know, confronting Ted and Ted's, you know, doing his backpedal there and just like whatever, whatever. And you know, in 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 the just before the 150 to 200 percent satisfied, his first thing is like, first of all, I don't need to get with you. And second <laughs> of all, I'm not even attracted to you. And when he says that, you see the camera catch Gandhi's reaction. She's crushed by this. I mean, literally crushed. And it's because it's not a nice thing to say. It's a horrible thing to say to somebody. But he's saying it to her. And you could just see her, like, viscerally react to that. And then he goes on with this thing. But, like, that's the killer line right there. The I'm not even attracted to you. She literally just is, like, done at that point. And then she kind of comes back and says, so you're not going to deny the biting and the this, that? And he's just like, no, no. And he goes on from there on. And then it gets all weird. And then Brian has the fun line with the red berets but like that that <laughs> yeah. thing when when ted was like i don't need to get with you and second of all i'm not even attracted to you like that was just the backbreaker right there by the way i should point out this is something i have to take a hit for this one that quote has been popularized over the years 150 to 200 percent satisfied if you listen to the episode that's not actually what he says i actually misquoted it he says, I'm 150 to 200% happy, happy with, with the, the wife, wife I have. that I have. Yeah. He never says satisfied. And so I, I actually screwed that one up. And so it's been misattributed all of these years with the wrong word. And it's one of those things now where the wrong word, the wrong version is actually more popular than the right one. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, so I, will, I, will take, I will take a hit on that one. That was my bad. Okay. Although, in my defense, I'm not even attracted to you guys. I don't even know if I can go on with this. I, but crack I, showing every damn day. <laughs> Mario, you were not in the attack zone when you said that quote. <laughs> so it does not count. We're literally two hours into this. We're, we haven't even gotten to the boot or even the immunity challenge of episode we, we three. We are this two hours and like 15 minutes into the recording. Yeah. All right. We, we promise we will finish this up in, in the next couple of minutes and we'll sign off. But yeah, this is, I mean, Thailand is amazing, you guys. It's If you hate Thailand, if you've never rewatched it, I know a lot of fans of Survivor that love all, all the seasons. They love everything about it. And they'll even flat out say, oh, but I only watched Thailand once. I'm like, are you nuts? Watch, Watch again. Thailand again. Are you like, they're like, well, I don't think it'll hold up on a rewatch. Oh, I'm like, no, you, no. it gets better. There's on no the season that gets better oh. on a rewatch because it's so funny. It's a, and again, this this episode was not considered funny at the time. But it's, it's legend has grown over the years just because it's so ridiculous. Uh, so we have all the stuff with Ted and Gandia and it was fantastic. Yeah. And then, oh, we have to do a flipping immunity challenge. And it's, you know, super physical. No, it's not physical at all. It's a flipping puzzle. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's just an afterthought to the episode. All this drama has happened. Then, like, with ten minutes left in the episode, they're like, "Oh yeah, an immunity challenge." And Suk Jai's like, "Yeah, let's throw this one. We don't care if we win." <laughs> we and hate so Jed. It's just, yeah, it's, this poor Jed. His whole storyline is just tossed aside because Ted and Gandia has swamped their entire episode or his entire episode. Well, they go and like. What's funny is that you know it's it's a there's a, a six a six part pagoda and it's you know smaller at the top than it is at the bottom and you know they need to transport it piece by piece 
to the finishing platform and they've got like a, a couple platforms and you, know, you can't put a bigger piece on top of a smaller piece. It's one of those moving the, the, the pieces around in the proper order puzzle. And like Jed is running around like a madman, like trying to get this thing put together. And, you know, the other tribe, like they're helping, but not really helping, you know, it wasn't yeah. like a total throw, but they were just kind of like, we're just going to go through the motions and whatever happens, happens kind of deal. Yeah. And she says later, you know, I could have done a logic puzzle in my sleep. Yeah, and Shean is kind of one of the first in a long line of people we're going to get where, you know, we have people who are great at puzzles, and yet they say, like, I'm great at puzzles, and I could have done it, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, I should point out later that Suk, <clears throat> that uh, Shean screws up a logic puzzle and it ends up getting Rob's Zabachnik uh, booted. Yes, also that. Yes. She does, so. she, does just... she does the tangrams okay. So, you know, yeah. we're we're good on tangrams, but you know, all the other times she's like, I'm great at puzzles. I'm I'm you know, I I can do puzzles in my sleep. And it's like, well, you didn't do this one. Yeah. But yeah, that was the thing. They they basically throw the challenge and she ends like, Well, I could have stepped in, but I didn't. And then But I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So they get rid of Jed, who is their best athlete. <laughs> They get rid of their best athlete, Jed. And so a lot of people are like, well, is, is the throwing of Jed, you know, the, 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 the downfall for, for uh, Soup Jai? And it's like, well, don't forget the attack zone, people. Never forget the attack zone. Yeah, so many people point to the throwing of the challenge to get rid of Jed. But just from a karmic point of view, I have to say it's got to be the attack zone. It's so much more fun to talk about Thailand where the attack zone is the turning point of the season. That is a world that I like to live in. It's a good world. It's a good world. It's a good world where Stephanie and Ted and Ken and Rob's Zabachnik get eliminated. Yeah. And then we lose Hermie the Elf, which, you know, it's funny. I, I've, I've talked, again, I talked to a lot of Thailand players back in the years, uh, back in the day. And almost to a man, everyone says, oh, Jed was considered the hottest guy in Thailand. All the girls were in love with him. And so it's, that's kind of his reputation. Behind the scenes, all the girls love Jed. But in Survivor history, he was kind of insignificant. In fact, one of the few things I can think of about Jed, besides being not only lazy, but freaking lazy, is the fact that Ken, for, for whatever reason, always called him Jeb. Jeb. Yeah, he did. <laughs> if you watch Thailand, just watch. Every time Ken talks about him, he, he says his name wrong. It's always Jeb. Yeah, poor, poor Jed. I mean, he just... And that's the thing. Again, here's the lesson. Here's the lesson Thailand is teaching you on the, on the, on the rewatch and everything. Bond with your freaking tribe. Jed was considered the hottest guy out there. He was young. He was athletic. He was fit. You know, he was a dentist. So, you know, he, he, you know, going to dental school, there's all that spatial relations. So he's probably had a mind for puzzles. I mean, he did that puzzle in the first challenge, just crushed Gandia. You know, (laughs) you can tell this guy was smart. He was physical, but it's like he didn't want to do what the other tribes wanted to do, which was the shelter. He thought it was stupid. And instead of just going along with it or, you know, subtly doing something else, he, you know, told them, that's stupid. I'm not doing it. You guys suck. Fuck you. And it's like, well, you're not winning this game then, Jed. Thanks for playing. That's right. And that's why to this day, Jeb is on the island of misfit toys. But but at least it's it's a, it's it's a place where sexy biting can happen. <laughs> it is lots of sexy biting with Rudolph. Oh God! Oh episode three. God. Episode three is amazing. Holy shit, people! Episode three. Go and watch it. Yeah, at that point, that may have been the best episode in Survivor history, and and I know best is kind of an open ended criteria. Like, there's not a lot of strategy going on. It's like not game changing. There's no blind side. I mean, there is a blind side, but it's really irrelevant to the episode. But just from an entertainment spectacle, man, that was a fun episode. They got to do something that they didn't get to do. I mean, uh, a lot of these great episodes in Survivor history is something that Survivor gets to do 
that they don't normally get to do. I mean, as sad as uh, Mike falling in fire in Australia was, I mean, this was a, a man who burned off parts of his hands and they had to go through just the extreme. It's not just a medevac, like someone's sick or someone's passing out or someone's got like a little wound and the medical team comes in and says, ah, this could get infected. We need to pull him from the game. Like this was a huge medical emergency and they had to deal with it. And it was huge and emotional. And we had to deal with all that stuff. And, you know, they got to really kind of delve into something. And the Ted and Gandhi thing is, is emotional on a different level. You know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not someone getting medevaced and everyone, you know, having kind of the same emotions and caring for it. I mean, this is a he said, she said with some inappropriate touching going on. And we've, we've made a lot of fun of it. But, I mean, th- something inappropriate did happen. You know, that much is, is clear. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, then we get to see everyone's reaction. It really is, was an interesting piece of sociology to see just how everything kind of just unwinded itself. You know, Gandhi accepted his apology. Then she didn't, and then everyone else got involved, and then stories got passed from people to people, and then they had it out, and then basically Ted, you know, got super angry and, you know, really put down Gandia and basically made her feel bad about the whole thing, and that's how it got resolved. So, yeah, I, again, it's weird. Before, yeah, before people start giving us crap, I can already see the hate mail coming in. Hey, three guys making light of date rape. Like, that wasn't remotely what happened in this situation. In fact, if you listen to Gandia's final words, she flat out says... I made a big deal over something that wasn't really that big a deal, and I probably shouldn't have done that. She goes, that was my my attempts to divide the tribe. It was like a strategic thing to turn the men against the women because it was in her own her best interest. And I've heard her in interviews say the same thing, that a lot of it was strategic. Like she saw she had her foot in the door of a little strategy here where she could get some, you know, some uh, attention drawn toward the Clay, Brian, Ted power trio that the women were going to have a tough time beating. She wanted to get everyone to turn on Ted and vote him out. She's like, I have my foot in the door. I can kind of exploit this. So before we get crap for making light of something that was very serious, this was not particularly all that serious and that Gandhi has even admitted it in many of her interviews. And I must add, I think that was a pretty savvy strategy on her part. Like, so, I've I've long been said, long said that anything you do in Survivor that puts you in a better social standing than other people is a great move. And this we'll talk about this when it comes to the dead grandma thing with Johnny Fairplay. I love that move. That was the most ingenious thing I've ever seen on Survivor. And you can look at this Grindgate thing as kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, maybe it wasn't the most ethical thing, but like Gandhi is, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. She's just trying to stay in the game when she's already in trouble and she already knows the men are in power. So I say more power to her for trying it and it didn't work, but hey, it was it was a good move. And also notice that, you know, she approached Ted and, you know, they resolved things just between them. And it was, you know, things got really crazy when the other people got involved. And that's kind of where the strategy of the game comes into play, because then you're involving the other people and trying to play on their emotions. But, you know, what happened between Ghani and Ted, they worked out. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she truly then, you know, I mean, she can accept Ted's apology, but it's basically kind of like this dude inappropriately grinded against me. And, you know, you're never really going to say, like, that's totally cool and OK, you know, but yeah. but, you know, they 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 resolved it in in their own, you know, resolution kind of way. And then things, you know, once that kind of went and, you know, she felt a little bad about it and she's trying to get the men power out of the game. And it's like, well, might as well get to because you know he's kind of kind of skeezy, but yeah. you know, other than that, then it then it just becomes in a gameplay, and you can clearly see the personal in the gameplay. But then it just all gets wrapped up in this really really fun episode and this really really fun bow. Yeah, and I will say the great irony of this episode, and this is really the, the, the true tragedy here, is that had Ted waited about one more day, the Red Berets could have showed him how to effectively get some from Gandia. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm going to end on that joke right there.
<laughs> oh, people. We just talked two hours about three episodes of Survivor. God, I'm proud. God, I'm yeah, you know, we, we set out to do like the first half of the season. And then I was thinking, I was like, you know, I bet we won't get there. I was like, I bet we'll just cover the story of Gondia, you know, so we can <laughs> talk about Gondia from start to finish. We didn't even get to the end of Gondia. No. Ted tried to get to the end of Gondia. He got busted for it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to end on that joke. Yeah. So I... I think Jay, you did a wonderful job of leading us. Your your leadership was. I'm 150 was, uh, to 200 percent satisfied with uh, with your job there. Well, I am 90 to 106 percent sure that we did not get exactly where we wanted to get. But you know what? That just means more Thailand podcasts. I'm totally over the moon over this. Yeah, I think that we're gonna. Have, this is gonna be a three parter. And believe me, this was not expected. We were planning this to be a two parter, but again, things are out of our control. And again, it, we're not even attracted to Thailand. <laughs> I, I, I normally we do uh reader or user que- listener questions here but i don't think we have time it's gonna be like a two and a half hour podcast on three episodes yeah I we'll think, throw them uh, on to the next one i think i yeah. think this podcast if we had to do one word it would be erotic <laughs> <laughs> almost erotic hey we're not no spoilers we're oh, not sorry, to that spoiling. part yet <laughs> this is what happens when we leave jay fisher in charge of the podcast yeah chaos Chaos and Jake spoilers. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So I guess what? Uh, part two of Thailand will be out soon. And I guess we'll be doing episodes four through what? Five, maybe six. <laughs> we could probably, well, if we want to, then stretch it to the fake merge. And I then bet kinda... we could do the fake merge. I mean, I, even though Thailand does have a lot to talk about. I mean, these, these, especially the episode three is such a heavy one and stuff. I think the, you know, four through seven is going to be probably comparable to what we've accomplished today. We'll probably yeah. you'll probably get through four through seven because we'll probably have a lot to say about the fake merge and that's kind of you know wrapping up Shean who is a really big character this season and we've got Rob to get through and then kind of we can kind of get into the end of the game there because then it's kind of the 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 elimination of Sukjai and then just talking about the end with Chewie gone and Brian and Helen and Clay which is going to take a while. And to be fair, episodes four, five, and I think six have an awful lot of Chewie gone swimming scenes, which as you point out are quite long and boring. They're long and boring, and 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 I, again, as much as I love Thailand, hey, we have a lot of Chewy gone swimming, and that's you know that's filler, and and you know we do need filler from time to time, but uh, yeah, we 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 don't need to sit here and 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 talk about in great detail. Well, Chewy gone went swimming for their water or their boat, and uh, and and kind of gloss over that, but but we've got lots of stuff to go in the future. We've got a fake merge. We've got big characters. We've got. Uh, a team auction, a tribe auction, fan only one of its kind. Yes, that's true. We got CC Heidek coming up. We got CC Heidek coming up, and 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 Helen's husband. Helen's husband is her pussy whipped husband. Oh my god, this is gonna be fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, is that it? Should we sign off this week? We should sign off for everybody for the first three episodes of Thailand. Remember, only inappropriately touch in the attack zone. I'm Jay Fisher. Um, I'm Paul, and you will never see my tatas. I'm Mario, and once again, this podcast was dedicated to Stephanie Dill. Talk to you guys later. Ah! What was that? What the f*** was that? I, I don't said what? This just crazy lady. <laughs> that was the most childish act she's done so far here. Gandhi is going to go down the beach and cry and holler and carry on. 
My two-year-old did that one time. I whooped its ass and put it back in bed. Ass. Fire. Sheet. Black crack showing every damn day. 